All right, maestro, music if you will. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Spared no expense. 50 quid this cost us. All right, here we go. You ready? On the Empire Podcast this week, we're live at King's Place, London for our 550th episode. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very special live spoiler special for the trailer to Murder Mystery 2. (laughs) Don't tempt me. Do not tempt me. No, 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 indeed. Welcome to another landmark episode of the Empire Podcast, live from King's Place, London, a.k.a. our spiritual home. And let's be honest, if energy bills go the way that they're going... Our actual home, pretty soon. We can all live in the walls like Gary Busey and Hyder in the house, and we can eat of the crumbs left behind by Andy Serkis, who is maybe one of the guests on the show. <laughs> Later on, wait, I've just done a bit of time travel. He is one of the guests on the show. Later on. Uh, speaking of time travel, what a segue. Can it only be a year since we were last here? No, we were here in September. Shut up. <laughs> But can it be only a year since we were last here for our incredible 500th episode of the podcast? A celebration so epic, we won a fucking award for it! Here it is, folks! Yes! Look at it! Gaze upon my works, ye mighty, and despair! It is so cheap. And yet I am so moved looking at it. Yes, Best Live Podcast, British Podcast Awards 2022. Absolutely magnificent. Take a good look, because we're not winning it for this. (laughs) That is for sure. If there is breath in my body, I'm going to make sure that this episode of the Empire Podcast is of insufficient quality to win a Best Live Podcast Award. I'm so glad they, they keep these two seats empty for the, uh, for the live stream. And I'm so glad because I've spat accidentally on it about three or four times. I'm so sorry you're in the line of fire. I spat, I've spat on Leslie Mann in this podcast, and so now you're in very, very good company. Yeah, she, she took it very well. She did. She genuinely did. Anyway, this is a landmark episode, folks. This is our 550th episode of the Empire Podcast. 11 years. Despite public demand, we have made it (laughs) to the 11-year mark. And uh, you have made it all the way here to King's Place. On a Thursday, you have given up watching The Apprentice to come here. Because why watch a bunch of incompetent fucking buffoons who don't know what they're doing Well, you can come and see, oh, wait, this one writes itself. (laughs) Anyway, this leads me very nicely on to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning uh, who are going to be here with me tonight. First up is a woman who, when we first started this show in 2012, was merely a geek princess. And then the geek queen in residence at the time suffered a mysterious accident which to this day has never been solved, and she became the geek queen. She wasn't a published author back then. And let's face it, she barely is now. (laughs) What? Boo! See, that's pantomime season. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yeah. 
She hadn't even interviewed Noel Bombach at all, <laughs> let alone three times in a row. Anyway, please welcome our geek queen and the author of Women Go to Hollywood or something. I don't know, I wasn't really paying attention. Helen O'Hara! You're a monster. You are a monster! That's what it should have been on the bingo! Uh, Helen calling me a monster. Should have been, been on the bingo. Does anyone win in the bingo? Of course not. This is only five minutes old, this show. <laughs> Next up is a man who back in 2012 would happily West Wing splain to anyone who would listen. Now he charges extra for the privilege. <laughs> By the way, if you're watching this at home, now would be a capital time to feed coins into the meter beside your screen. Otherwise, he's just going to be a blur. We're blurring him. Oh my God, I wish I could blur him out. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Anyway, please welcome our great big fucking nerve and the worst pilot since Amelia Earhart. Oh, come on. Come on. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. He's James Dyer. Unbelievable. The amount of people who died in tragic plane crashes that I went through before I settled on Amelia Earhart thinking, she's not going to piss anyone off. <laughs> John Denver. Anyway. <laughs> Take me home, country road. Oh, no. If he had, he'd still be alive. There you go. <laughs> Something to think about. Oh, boy. Last but not last. <laughs> That's the level? That's the level, that's the level. <laughs> Last but not least is a young boy, a little bairn, just a little bairn, who when we started in 2012 was taking his first steps <laughs> into a larger world. Into a, he was taking his first steps into a larger world. Now he's all grown up and ready to claim another victim. <laughs> Please welcome the nicest serial killer in the business and the president, treasurer, secretary, and let's be frank, only member of the Rise of Skywalker fan club. <laughs> <laughs> the Babu Fricktastic, Ben Travis! My Babu Frick's not a million miles away from my Joe Pasquale. Joe Pasquale! I believe that. Oh, another song. Get on your nerves. Get on your nerves. Get on your nerves. I think you they're puppeteered by significantly sized teams of people. <laughs> Joe Pasquale famously needs a team to move him around. <laughs> Welcome to the Empire Podcast, everybody. Uh, does anyone have Chris Lewis has a mental breakdown that way through uh, on your bingo card? Uh, should we talk about movie news? Let's get straight into yeah. movie news. Sure. Uh, what's been happening? Jimbo, you look excited. I do. I've got some news. I've got uh, some something news. broken in the time where we've been here. Well, no. And... <laughs> And crucially, I say news is from January 2021. But, but could you give me a little bit of leeway here? So, so is this going to be a rant? It's actually not. It's actually not. So, so is this people... about a television show? We know how we, we frown upon that over here. I mean, maybe. <laughs> but crucially, like Helen and I will occasionally go on flights of fancy about well, fancy books. Oh, and no, uh, no. my favourite book of all time is a book called Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell and its sequel, Children of God. And I was out on the weekend. I went to the, the you know, the, the science fiction exhibition at the Science Museum. Yeah, it's really going at the moment. Yeah. It's really, really good. Had a lot of fun there. I was there with a friend and I was talking about this book. Oh, really? And he was like, oh, they're making it into a TV series. Where was my invite? I was like, what? Hmm? Where was my invite? Where was your invite? 
Anyway, we, uh, I went there with someone who was actually my friend. And, uh, <laughs> and he said to me, they're making, intro, they're making it into a TV series. And I was like, they're fucking not. He said, there are. So I looked it up, and this was absolutely true. This broke literally two years ago, and I didn't even notice, but The Sparrow is being turned into a TV series. And I'm... I'm, I'm Sorry, what about. the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I, no, no, this is absolutely true. And so, so the creator of The Queen's Gambit is adapting this for TV, or at least he was in... 2021 may not be happening now, but my point is, I have found out this thing <laughs> that is broadly speaking news or was when we did episode, I don't know, like 300. And I want to share it with you guys because it's like, oh my God. Does anyone have James has a breakdown on you? <laughs> what are you doing? I don't Movie know. News I don't week. know. I don't Chris know. said, is there breaking news? You literally went the opposite of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. no, but it's breaking it's for me. It's news that has broken James. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh. that's accurate. You've read The Sparrow. It is a fantastic book. It's, has anyone here read The Sparrow? At least. Yeah. Two Three people. people, yeah, uh, and and it's it, like it's up there with a case of conscience on the Jesuits in space right? kind of story. It's a anyway, very specific subgenre. It's very good, but um, yeah. but maybe something slightly more timely, James. Like things Thanks. have actually happened this week. It's not one of those weeks. No, but this was the most exciting thing that happened to me. Okay, yeah, all right. Can I say something that genuinely is relatively breaking news in the last couple of hours or so, which also did break me and caused me to basically yell in the Empire office, Go on. which is, uh, did anyone see that they unveiled the animation studios who are doing Star Wars Visions season two? Oh, yes. Which yeah. is so exciting. So the first season, all Japanese animation houses. This one, they've been saying for a while, it's going to be like worldwide animation studios, including one from the UK, one from Ireland, various other places. Should have put two and two together. The one in the UK is Ardman. Right. <laughs> We're getting potentially Wallace and Gromit stars. <laughs> That's so amazing. here for it. Yeah. That's no moon. That's cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. And Cartoon Saloon. And Cartoon yeah. Saloon. Yeah. Yeah. And Studio Mirror. I mean, ah! It's really it's exciting. exciting. It's very it, it derailed my whole day, especially soon after that. Somebody already made the meme, somehow Feathers McGraw returns. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a difficult day for me to get anything done. Oh. Can we stop bearing the lead now? Can we talk about DC? DC? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe that uh, George Clooney has just been announced as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be starring in Batman and Robin, which is very exciting. Bringing Robin back. After what a nipple Batman count on that one's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be this guy. I've got to love it. So Arnold Schwarzenegger is in talks by Mr. Freeze. Uh, and Uma Thurman. Uh, is going to play uh, Poison Ivy. That's and I, amazing. for one, think this could be the pinnacle of the comic book movie <laughs> to date. There's no going up from there, is there? <laughs> there's no, there's no, nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. I don't think that movie is going to crash and burn, leading to a complete and utter reinvention <laughs> of the comic book movie, <laughs> which will lead to the creation of a studio, um, say, a Marvel Studios. Could be. Which will lead to the creation of a cinematic universe, say, a Marvel Cinematic could Universe. Be, yeah. Which will have, oh, I don't know, 30 films by the end At of least. 2022. And completely and utterly changed the way. And the I'm the one who derailed news. <laughs> <laughs> the bat and the bird. <laughs> yes. Anyway, DC. James Gunn. James and Gunn. Peter Safran. They they announced. <laughs> what the fuck is in this? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's Jared Leto's hard kombucha. <laughs> There's alcohol in that. <laughs> Is that. Oh, this could be a very interesting evening. Oh, I think I got possessed by Chris Walken temporarily there. <laughs> Lay announced. Okay, anyway. 
Someone who can speak, please talk. <laughs> they announced their they new slate of films. So the four that were scheduled for this year are still happening. David Saslav may have other ideas. Right, is, He's yeah. lurking. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then, uh, and apparently The Flash is still happening. And bad? apparently, and apparently it's going to change everything. So presumably they do a sort of, you know, proper reset at that point. And then, oh, we get everybody and everybody is recast and everybody is new. And then The Batman and The Which Joker... Really? continue as their own little weird side worlds, else worlds if you're talking DC. But everything else then flows into the James Gunn universe, I believe, from The Flash. And apparently it's possible that the people in the other films this year could come forward. Although I would say that certain ones have made it less likely this week, uh, naming no Zacharies. So, um, so yeah, so that's- Hardcore agree. That's, that's what we- <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have on this year's site. And then, and then they started to announce what was happening after that. 2025 Superman Legacy. And I'm encouraged that James Gunn said the right things about Superman. Like he's supposed he to be die. a good guy. Yeah. And he is supposed to be optimistic. And not, he's a fucking miserable, you know, emo dude. He kills people and commits crimes. <laughs> yeah. So that, that sounds... I'm for it. Exactly. <laughs> I like um, they're doing a, a, a new in-canon Batman, which will not be Robert Pattinson or Ben Affleck, although they want him to direct something. I don't know, a Batman movie. And... Um, that will have Damian Wayne in it. Yes. Who's Damian Wayne? Damian Wayne is his son who was raised as an assassin and kind of becomes <laughs> a Robin, but is a very, is a very like um, edgy emo Robin. I'm using emo. I have questions. Tonight. Does that mean he kills lots and lots of people? Well, I mean, look, it's still like a, a Robin. So like he, he certainly tries to kill people. And then Batman's like, like, oh, don't do that. He's not an actual Robin Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm clear on that, thank He's you. He's a though. human person. But you realize there have been a number of Robins. There have this, been a Robin, he is yeah. one of the Robins. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's quite funny because my sister, who's a big Batman fan based on the animated series, has been hoping for, like, Bat Family stuff for years. And I think she's like, no, not that. I didn't want a dark, grim Bat Family story. I wanted, like... All yes. Robins, yay. All the Robins, so, um, can we, can we bring the, um, back Michael Serra's Robin from the Lego Batman? Yes! The canonical Robin. Your character, basically. Basically, yeah. 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 The Ben Travis biopic that is <laughs> the Lego Batman movie. Uh, yeah, this is the, uh, the Brave and the Bold. So they announced 10 projects. <clears throat> Need to clear my throat for this next bit. Uh, they announced 10 projects in what they're calling Chapter 1 of the DCU, or as James Gunn dubbed it, the. Gods and Monsters. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you to do that. Welcome to a new world of Gods and Monsters. Uh, so I presume the gods will be Superman and maybe Wonder Woman, although Gal Gadot isn't necessarily attached to anything. Uh, it was a really interesting thing when they, they cleared a lot of stuff up, but then obfuscated in other areas. They went. They said they clarified that Henry Cavill wasn't fired as Superman. He just wasn't offered the job again, <laughs> which is the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Semantics, I don't know. It's yeah. Legally there is a distinction. Is there is yeah, there though? Absolutely. Is there as your lawyer, Helen? Okay, thanks. That doesn't count for the video. It doesn't count. Said it, not me. And peacemakers coming about, that's exciting. But before that, we're getting Walla. Right. We are. And that's good news. It, I'm pleased yeah. that Peacemaker is... I mean, we thought he, it would. Yeah. I'm very pleased that that's coming back. Well, because we knew it would, because he was saying he was writing season two of Peacemaker. What's interesting is that they put... He, James Gunn, who is writing like loads of the stuff himself, mm. he's writing and possibly directing Superman Legacy, which I'm very excited about. Uh, 
but he is writing Waller or, or writing some of Waller. Um, and it's a show f- showcasing Viola Davis's character from the Suicide Squad movies and from the Peacemaker show. Uh, and Peacemaker and that gang will be in this show as well. So this is kind of taking the place of Peacemaker season two. And then we'll get that, I guess, at some point down the line. Hmm. So there, it's, it's a great big old smorgasbord. And there's, you know, uh, you know James Mangold tweeted this week that, you know, he basically tweeted, <laughs> he didn't confirm it, but he tweeted a picture of a Swamp Thing. Yeah. So a Swamp Thing movie directed by James Mangold is very, very exciting indeed. Cool. There's lots of really good stuff. Green Lantern show with um, John Stewart and Hal Jordan, and which will hopefully rehabilitate the Green Lantern after, I believe Ryan Reynolds was in a movie a couple of what? years ago. He doesn't talk about it very much. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what did he say though about the Lanterns show? Because there was something... Ryan Reynolds? No, uh, James Gunn. Oh, Ryan Reynolds probably went, fuck! <laughs> it was a true detective thing, wasn't it? Yeah, true detective, it was, yeah. the Lanterns was going to be a true detective style show. And I'll be honest, that... I, my brain broke a little bit trying to imagine what the hell. So that the means. first season will be great. The second season will be unwatchable, <laughs> and it will kind of redeem itself. That's the. I, think, I guess that's what it means. Oh, yeah, it's, it's true, detective. But if Matthew McConaughey could actually turn time into a flat circle, you've unfolded this whole thing. Also, I wasn't sure about the sort of hardcore Supergirl kind of. That was a bit like I had those two words so belong together, <laughs> except in certain corners of the internet. Yeah, not, you know, not mainstream. <laughs> I was a bit worried about that. But that seems to be a direct adaptation of a comic book um, yes. run by Tom King, who's a brilliant, brilliant writer. Mm. Uh, and that's something that Marvel have shied away from. And so you'd, you'd, you'd hope that they put this writer's room together and they've got really, really great people in the writer's room. And you'd hope that Gunn has been able to watch the MCU at close quarters. You know, is taking the very, very best of what Kevin Feige and I, that gang do and maybe jettisoning anything that doesn't work. Not that anything doesn't work, how dare you? <laughs> Well, as he actually said, like they think they're being more organized than the MCU because they are planning this out quite literally from the very beginning. Oh, the MCU yeah. was utterly half-assed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> completely. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of it is happy accidents. A lot of it is indie shooting the swordsman because Harrison Ford had the shit. It's a bit like that, mm. uh, only on a, on a much larger scale. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, 2025, we're going to get a Superman movie. We're going to get a Batman movie. We're going to get an X-Men movie. We're going to get a Fantastic Four movie. We're going to get an Avengers movie. Holy fucking shit. I hope I'm not dead. <laughs> that does sound good. I'm also interested in The Authority. This is what I was going to say. Yeah, yes. which which is, which is coming, and he said that Superman Legacy would lead into the authority, which makes us sound particularly interesting because there is a story where Superman is kind of thinks, well, I won't be around forever. I need somebody to kind of take over when I leave. And, and he sort of tries to hand over almost the mantle of like peacekeeper and general super cop. To, that doesn't kind of say super in front of a word. That's like a <laughs> yeah, um, you're Superman. You've said that a whole bunch. I did say yeah. that a whole bunch. But like, so it, it's. It's uh, handing it on to the authority because they have the powers. They have the authority. Author- yeah, well, all together to do this. It's an interesting, has anybody read like Stormwatch, the authority, the monarchy, all that kind of run, planetary as well. Um, they're they're, they're pretty cool um, comics. They sort of, they're, they're obviously a bit anti-authoritarian as they go and they get really dark at times and, and really go to some quite twisted places. But there's, there's some really cool concepts in there. They have two characters called Apollo and the Midnighter who are, Super cool. But aren't they very thinly veiled Superman and Batman clothes? Yeah. And then this was when it was Wildstorm before they were DC. Yeah. And then it became DC. Yeah. I'm very confused. And they're in a relationship. Anyway, it's, uh, they, they are, um, they're just, it's just a cool concept to have in the thing. They've got a character called, well, she's now Jenny Quantum. She was Jenny Sparks and she's the spirit of the century. So she lives for exactly a hundred years and is sort of powered by the energy of the century. And, um, 
She's very TikTok powerful. at this point. Jenny, TikTok just doesn't have the same ring, does it? I mean, it might be more accurate. Anyway, so but they're very, very interesting. Uh, Warren Ellis mostly uh, books, and uh, I, I'm intrigued to see what they do with them because this is a very different thing to any of the Marvel energy. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, interesting slate. They haven't announced everything yet. They say 10 projects. Uh, so far in chapter one, more to come. But yeah, lots of good stuff to keep your eyes on, folks. Um, Bad Boys 4 is happening. Yes, please. Thank you very much. I think we could all agree, Bad Boys for Life kept a lot of us going during the pandemic, uh, during the lockdown. And I am delighted to see Will Smith and Martin Lawrence back this week. They announced it during uh, with a special video uh, on Twitter, which was given away by a, the thumbnail, which was Will Smith and Martin Lawrence together. And then the beginning of the video was Will Smith in his car going, you'll never guess where I'm going. It's like, I'm going to fucking Martin Lawrence's house <laughs> to announce Bad Boys 4. It's quite obvious. There was so much yelling in that video. Again, I played that in the Empire office and immediately had to turn down my laptop because it's basically just Will Smith and Martin like Lawrence. Like the time we watched going, the- ah! Yeah, for about glad they liked the time we watched the Colin Farrell sex tape in the office <laughs> as well. <laughs> you're fucking Which gorgeous. Was, uh, you're fucking gorgeous. You're gorgeous. <laughs> it's very Breakfast, much like that. Lunch and dinner. Yeah, oh, which on. is how I feel about Bad Boys 4. And I sense I'm the only one. <laughs> I, just, really? I just love that Bad Boys for Life turns out to be their mission statements, like, at this point. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. The real return there, though, is that Adil and Bilal, the directors, are coming back to direct. So they obviously directed Bad Boys for Life, and that was their kind of step up into Hollywood, uh, did incredible work on Ms. Marvel. Uh, They were making this Batgirl movie, which we all wanted to see, that looked really good, that had great people in it, that had great people behind the camera, that we are never going to see. And I'm still almightily annoyed about that, Um, especially after some of the stuff that came out with the DC uh, slate reveal this mm. week and there were extra comments made about that film being unreleasable that just felt really uncharitable. That really uncharitable. Like, really just kick it while it's down. Yeah. Got, like, it's dead already. Stop. Stop kicking. But from what Jeez. we've seen of their stuff, Dylan Bilal are, are really good directors and the energy they brought, especially to Ms. Marvel as well, was, was fascinating. So uh, I'm just excited that they have a project that by, I mean, touch all the wood, that will come out. <laughs> Oh, Goldie chosen words. Ah, you're gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, some breaking news. Orson Welles is in oh, town. <laughs> anyway, speaking of projects that I and only I have any interest in, the trailer for Murder Mystery 2 <laughs> broke the internet this week, and I, for one, was delighted to see Adam Sandler's character name and Jennifer Aniston's character name back together again for more hijinks this time in insert countries here. And this looks absolutely partially tremendous. <laughs> no one uh-huh. understood. No one understands why you have the feelings you have for the first one, Chris. I just, I feel like you should I, talk about it. I'm not, sure, professional. I'm not sure, A, I understand either. And I don't think I actually have those feelings, but I think that I have to commit to the bit now. So it's been so, a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's, I have now become this and I am now, I'm the You're locked in. I'm locked into yeah. Loving Murder Mystery, which is a very decent three-star film. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Fuck you. It is. It's so good. Nick and Audrey, that's their character names. God damn it. There's so much fun. And they have all the fun with all the great characters. And there's a murder mystery and they get to solve it. 
did you, did you see there was other Jennifer Aniston news this week? I did. She's I did doing indeed. a body swap comedy with Julia Roberts. Right. Who to me has a very similar energy to Jennifer Aniston, so I don't quite know. Like they swap lives, and, and you'd be like, "Pretty huh? much the same," you know. Um, <laughs> but it's directed by the director of Pam Springs. Yeah. Now that is a film that you like that isn't shit. Yeah. No, that's a film I. Oh. That's a film I genuinely like uh, as well. No, I, I, li- I like murder mystery, but it's no Hubie Halloween. Let's be honest. Uh, that's fair. Yes, this is exciting news. Uh, Jennifer Aniston and Julia Roberts. Mm. Yeah, that's a good pairing. They're, they're, but, but do you know what I mean about them both having the same energy? They both have the same energy, yeah. So I'm just like, I'm intrigued. Like, it's not like, oh, son and dad, son and father, or like, you know, daughter and mother have swapped lives. Like, it's High not, schooler it's just, and serial killer. Yeah, it's That's like, it's concept. just, it's <laughs> like beautiful rich lady and beautiful rich lady have swapped lives. And now, wow, it's super different. Maybe it's a thing where nobody notices. Maybe that's the concept. Yeah, maybe it is. I, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's Max Barbakov who's directing this. And again, with, with Palm Springs, it was like, it's a time loop film that's also a romantic comedy. And you go, okay, cool. I'm sure that'll be good. But I, yes, I am aware that this is a thing that has been done. Um, so even if this sounds kind of familiar or you go like, what is the version of this going to be? Mm. Um, I trust in him that he's going to have a take that makes this work because so much of those body swap comedies it is in the contrast mm. between the two characters to really sell the comedy. But I, I, he's got to have something up his sleeve for what that's going to be, what that difference is. Can we talk about some TV? Oh, fine. Apropos of absolutely nothing. Okay. Uh, Helen, specifically, did you watch the trailer for Prime Video's The Power? I haven't yet. I've been saving it, but I have read the book, so I'm excited to see it being... Has everyone read the book? Naomi Alderman's book, The Power? Yes, yes. Not enough of you. It's fantastic. It was Barack Obama's book of 2018. Uh, It's very, very good, and it uh, takes place in a world where all adolescent girls start developing the ability to electrocute motherfuckers. Uh, Basically, it's Helen's fantasy, and it is I, a book. I genuinely had started writing a story where this was the concept. I didn't have the electrocution thing. I yeah. just had women getting stronger than men as a concept. Yeah. And I was starting to write a story, and then I read The Power, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> anyway, but it's really good. Like, but the, the thing is, it's not what it sounds like. So it's not like a, an x Men type thing. It's yeah. not, you know, girls shooting lightning from the fingers. Like, it's actually a geopolitical uh, stance on it. It looks at the ramifications. It's looking at power imbalances, whether or not men are just twats. Uh, or whether power inherently corrupts and whoever has power will end up being a twat. Uh, That's not quite how they word it, but you get my point. (laughs) Um, But this trailer worried me a little bit. Mm. So, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing the show because it might be very good. I haven't seen it yet or even the trailer. But, uh, uh, no, but this particular bit of marketing made it seem a little bit X-Men. There are literally girls shooting lightning from their fingers and a little bit like unlimited power. You know, and I was like, mm. by the way, I did see a movie that featured a young woman shooting lightning out of no, her fingers. No, no. It was called The Rise of Skywalker. No, no. Yes. And, um, no, no. Yes. It's really good. You guys should check no. it out. Uh, no, no. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow lightning fingers have oh turned. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, uh, well, thank you for cool barring TV into this. I thought you were going to maybe mention the... Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider TV Tomb Raider. show, which yes. is what which I actually getting... had written on the agenda. Ah. So it's, but it's, it's getting a film, it's getting a new game, and it's getting a TV show written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And yes. while I could give zero fucks about Tomb Raider coming back, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Tomb Raider, 
I'm very excited about. Especially if Phoebe Waller-Bridge post-Indiana Jones. Right, like so that, she's been that, raiding that, tombs already, and then, you know. That lineage between Indiana Jones and yeah. Tomb Raider has always been shared. Yeah. <laughs> and so just to see her going into that, like, adventure space and bringing that experience to Tomb Raider, which also, like, canonically, Lara Croft has always been a posh white lady. Mm-hmm. So, you know, write, write that and make it Representation. Funny and make- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, hopefully there's a scene where uh, somebody locks the butler in a fridge at the beginning. Uh, yes, let's hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, and uh, speaking of unlikely people doing action, it says here, I've actually written down, Emma Thompson to do Jerry action in The Fisherwoman. Now, just to be yeah. clear, is this Jerry action or Jerry action? Like which no, no. <laughs> no, she very, very will be things. playing Jared Butler, playing yeah. a Fisherwoman. Yeah. Right, right, because that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. Who that's was acting. It was, it was, <laughs> oh, come on, I love Jerry. I love, I love, I love The film is going to be called Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Off. <laughs> I just I just saw a bus go past today with the plane poster on it. Plane. It just made me smile, you know. Yeah. It's just like, it, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a film about a plane. That's awesome. Yeah. I, this, we should live in a world where all films are like this. Jedi's. Yeah. Navi. Yeah. You have to boil it down. You have to boil it down. Yeah. 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 One noun. You get one noun to describe yeah. your film. One. Nine. <laughs> Less as nine. Less as grammar. Yeah. So then after Sun would really be camcorder. Camcorder! Wow. I don't like that. But then Lufar already works. So that's yeah. yeah, I guess so. Lufa. We've, Lufa. we've cracked this thing wide open. I uh, don't know why we're talking about Luther. It's not like we've got Andy Serkis <laughs> on the show later on. Uh, yeah, Emma Thompson's going to star in an action movie. It's called The Fisherwoman. So she's a fisherwoman, right? And she rescues yeah. a girl who's about to be kidnapped. But then there's a big storm, so she has to keep the girl safe. Storm's coming, Annie. Better get home quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've already seen it. That's amazing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so then, like, storm and bad guys and girl and woman and have to... And she goes up to uh, one of the bad guys and, and grabs them by their pigtails and she spins around and... <laughs> Things are out of the it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be so cool. Yeah. Uh, last bit of news. Oh, no, actually, two, two last bits of news. Uh, so this is a project that I poo-pooed the chances of this this project happening on last week's podcast, but I have been poo-pooed back. Uh, and the project is Michael, and it is the biopic of Michael Jackson, and it is going to be directed by Antoine Fuqua, friend of the pod. And uh, the reason it's been poo-pooed this week is that they've actually cast someone to play Michael Jackson, which is usually a good sign that the movie's going to get made. Uh, And that someone is Jafar Jackson, who is Michael Jackson's nephew. Nipple baby! (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he was just the best candidate. I'm sure he was just the best candidate. Uh, He shared the news with the world on Instagram. And um, yes... I, I haven't seen him in anything apart from an Instagram post, but he looks like he's got, you know, he's got the body shape. <laughs> and that's what you want, really, isn't it? That's when you're you... casting Michael Jack, you don't want to cast me, for example. I don't have the... On many, on many, on many levels. On many levels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So many levels. So many levels. You At least three I can think of. Yeah. I would, yeah, be an unlikely candidate. Mm. But body shape being the number one. Yeah. Okay. Inability to dance. Inability to sing. No, you can sing, just not in that register. <laughs> um, 
speak for yourself. Uh, anyone else got anything to say about this? Or should we go on to... With a microphone around my head, probably not. Other than sometimes... Wow, Ben. ...should happen. Sometimes you feel like films shouldn't happen. And maybe this is one of those instances where one of those choices maybe could have been made. <laughs> And I think we're all clear on that. That is as diplomatic an answer as one that I suspect one of our guests will give later on. <laughs> Just a guess. Just a guess. But a very, very, a very, very diplomatic answer. Because uh, we were wondering, uh, wondering in last week's podcast, you know, Michael Jackson, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you Google uh, Michael Jackson, he was quite famous. And uh, <laughs> there, there were certain controversies uh, in his life. We were wondering how this movie would tackle him, and obviously we still don't know that, but the fact that not only is the Michael Jackson estate heavily involved with the film, but his nephew is playing him would seem to suggest that they're gonna tiptoe or moonwalk around <laughs> those issues. Scott Lang, hmm? he's written the book. Uh, he, Scott Lang has written the book, uh, and we will see it in Ant-Man and the, the Wasp, or as the marketing has it, Ant-Man and the Wasp, <laughs> Quantumania, and uh, it's going to be called Look Out for the Little Guy. It's called Look Out for the Little Guy. So canonically in the film, like when we catch up with Scott Lang, he is kind of cashing in his Avengers fame. He has written a book that is kind of telling his side of the whole... Ant-Man versus Hollywood. Something like that. <laughs> Fall and, rise, and fall and rise of Ant-Man in film. Yeah. <laughs> and he does that because sometimes he's really big and then sometimes he's really little. <laughs> Works in so um, many levels. Uh, so, in, yeah, in, in Quantumania, we are going to find him having written this book. This book is going to exist. It's coming out in September. Like, the, the yeah. Look Out for the Little Guy book has been written. They've made it quite clear from the beginning. Like, they, this was news literally today that Paul Rudd is introducing the book. And he's basically straight up, I didn't write this. <laughs> is, is it ghostwritten? Oh, that was a callback to a film everybody loves. <laughs> everyone loves it. Wow. Um, yeah, he's also on the cover of, um, of I think, uh, Men's Health or something this month. Have you seen? No, this? it's a Paul Paul Rudd. Oh, not Scott Lang. Paul Rudd. Okay. <laughs> Just so that we don't all get fired. Also, uh, Scott Lang is on the cover of Empire magazine. Oh yeah, that's this more month. important. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's not what you were thinking. Of. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there's a magazine out that I've seen <laughs> with Ant-Man on the cover. Uh, what is it, it was what Men's Health. Men's Health. <laughs> That's what it was. GQ rings. No, 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 it doesn't ring a bell. Anyway, yeah, okay. Good movie news section, everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause. Now I repeat Time now for our first guests, and uh, staying on to interview them, <laughs> thus affording me a well-deserved break, are James Dyer and Helen O'Hara, everybody. Strange thing to applaud people who've been sitting there for the last 20, 25 minutes, but okay. Uh, anyway, 
After Sun was one of the best films of last year. And if you don't want to take my word for it, five stars from this very magazine and four, count them, four BAFTA nominations Ooh. speak volumes. The bittersweet and deeply affecting story of a young girl, played by Frankie Corio, connecting with her troubled father, played by Paul Mescal, on a summer holiday. It immediately announced its writer-director, Charlotte Wells, as a major, major Major talent, I added a major, and that's how major she is, cemented Mescal's status as one of the brightest young actors in the business, and Incario gave us one of the great debut performances. Now, Mescal is currently going full Ned Flanders, yelling, Stella! Stella! In a streetcar named Desire. But we don't need him. Not when we have Charlotte Wells and Frankie Corio! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Used to this by now. Just people losing their absolute shit. Absolutely not. <laughs> is, is that super weird for you? Because obviously it's not strictly autobiographical, but it's semi-autobiographical. And it's obviously hit very big. A lot of people have seen it. People have reacted very, very positively for it. But, you know, does that personal aspect make it feel slightly odd? I think it feels slightly odd because it is slightly odd. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you don't ever expect a film made at this scale, particularly a first film, to reach as many people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like that first showing? It opened at Cannes, right? So that's a pretty big stage to open on. Yeah, it was incredibly special. Uh, we opened in um, Cement de la Critique and we had come straight through from making the film to the edit. Barely out of the sun mix, we went back to the sun mix after Cannes and we hadn't really had time to think about whether anybody would like it which I feel very grateful for and we'll never have again in quite the same way. We thought about the audience from the perspective of the film's legibility, uh, but not critically. Yeah. And so when people kept clapping, when the <laughs> credits rolled, we were confused as to why they weren't leaving <laughs> the cinema in a more efficient manner. <laughs> yeah, oh, like people, the movie's over, go yeah, home. Move along, move along. <laughs> no, it was, it was incredibly special. It was so special. Yeah. And the whole team was there, so it was a really lovely That's moment. Awesome. What did you think of it? Did you get like the whole can red carpet, fancy dress treatment? Yeah, <laughs> I like I liked being at Cannes, especially watching it since it was like the first time I had ever saw like basically anything from the film. Um, it made me feel very special. Um, but yeah, I loved watching it, and I loved being at Cannes. It's so awesome. fun. And you were chosen from I think eight hundred people. Is that right? That's yeah. incredible. Almost, yeah. So, so what was it that Frankie had that made her, made her stand out to you? <laughs> it's hard to answer this question with Frankie staring at me. I know. <laughs> I've become, so, I've become so accustomed to answering it without her that it, it, yeah, it starts to feel abstract and it's not because Frankie's a real life kid. <laughs> um, it, well, we had a really extensive casting process. It was you know, during the height of the second wave of COVID from October 2020 until maybe March 2021. And we asked them to submit different videos, ideally giving each kid the opportunity to grow with the process and become more comfortable. We were figuring out our way through it too and how to best utilize videos in Zoom 
Frankie likes to bring up a really awkward exercise we thought would be a good idea that just turned out to be a bit weird. What was when, that? We, well, we asked you to like whisper a story. <sighs> it took like so long. It was just like, I don't, I don't know what, what she was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no, and neither do I. Um, but others were more successful and eventually we narrowed it down to 16 and we met 16 kids in person and that's where Frankie just stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Just an ability to conjure these different emotional states, mm. to sit still when asked, which truly is a performance since it's not something <laughs> Frankie does naturally. And, um, and then shake it off as she walked or cartwheeled out the room. It was incredibly special. What was it like for you going through all these, kind of putting yourself on tape and then again, and then again, and having to whisper, oh my God. Um, it was long. Some of the things she asked me to do were awkward and weird and I didn't understand them. But by the end of it, it all paid off and it was worth it. <laughs> and you had like a couple of weeks, I think, before you started shooting to kind of like get yes. to know Paul a little bit. Because yeah. mm. you have to have some kind of relationship there, I guess, for this film. Yeah. I... <laughs> it's the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was my job to give them the time. I had a, I had a like fantasy of some utopia of just working with actors for two weeks. And in reality, my attention was pulled a thousand other directions. But... My primary job at that point was to allow these to the time to, to spend together and to get to know each other. And so they went to the pool and to the beach and for ice cream and food. And Frankie's family were very generous with um, yeah, with their time too. And I'd come down every morning and they'd all be having breakfast together. I came down one morning and I saw a shoulder with a thistle tattoo. And I was like, oh God, Paul's really taking this seriously. And then I realized it was Frankie's tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> The, I mean, the, the whole sort of parent-child is a, obviously a universal thing. I think we're all uh, shaped by those relationships, good and bad. But I was curious, to like, why 11 is a very particular age? Because it's a really interesting. The beginning of those sort of tween years, you're kind of a child one minute, you're kind of a teenager the next. It's a, it's a, you're in a state of flux, aren't you? And I wonder whether it is that the age that you start to see your parents' flaws. They stop being these sort of mythical beings. And you think, that's just a dude. Is, I mean, was that, is that where this came from? Yeah, in part. I, I think that is the age that you start to see your parents as people, and those moments unfortunately occur usually when you feel let down by them and they haven't fulfilled that um, perfect role that you expect them to every day. Uh, I think I considered what it would be for Sophie to be younger and have the freedom, but also dependence of a six-year-old, say, and also what it would mean for her to be 16, 15, 16, firmly in the world of adolescence and everything that brings with it. And uh, um, ultimately, I think 11 offered a foot in both worlds to some degree, but more so in the world of still being a kid, but with an eye toward what the future holds. It also allowed us to create a moment in the film, which for me is karaoke, where you see that transition occur. Yeah. And I think when you take that step, um, Again, it's just. I like, don't think this wasn't Frank your favorite scene. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'll just stop here because Frank is going to. Yeah, so tell me about so this. It's generous of you to offer to perform it live in front of this audience. That's now. why we're here. It's <laughs> nice like, just a setup. I'll, I'll take the chance. Prove everyone I can actually sing, guys. <laughs> it's like she was just setting me up, I think, to be honest. <laughs> But I also heard you didn't like the song. Now, Chris backstage, our colleague, is a massive REM fan. So, like, you might hear a scream backstage. Right? Yeah, um, Apparently, you didn't like losing my religion. I've been told to stop saying that by many people. <laughs> <laughs> Who told you to stop saying that? My mom. Really? Many yeah. People. Is she a fan as well? No, she just, like, 
Um, I, I don't think it's a great idea to be saying that I hate the song. Um, <laughs> You're allowed to hate a song. It's all right. Sorry, guys. Let's forget I said that. I love the song. <laughs> it's great. You're like, Frankie, Olivia Rodrigo wasn't performing in 2000. It's far too early. Yeah. <laughs> Era, era appropriate. But there, so there was another scene I read about which wasn't actually in the film involving a very cold pool of water. Yeah, I'm at that. So this isn't in the film. My understanding is this, is that you see there's a group of people getting in and they're men seeing how long they can stay in this very cold body of water and then they go and then you have a go and you actually had a go at this and you endured it and it's not in the film. Yeah, I, I think I'm extremely mad. That never put that in because I showed everyone that I was like, you know, um, I can't remember if I did I say that in another interview. I was just thinking. Uh, it, uh, well, it was on the yeah, internet. Must have. Everyone, no, I don't think I've really talked about that. So you must have done. Yeah. If you can endure cold water, I mean, like James Cameron will be right down to get you for Avatar. Yeah, yeah, so like this could be a great time no, for your future. It, Frankie drew it more than these men who were in it ahead of time. I remember turning to them and saying, "Can you just?" Like, would you mind acting a little bit more cold in the look that one of them gave me? He's like, we're freezing. <laughs> I dived in. I, I like went like into the water and sat there and enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. He was like, I'm Scottish. What are you talking about? Exactly. That, that, I'm pretty sure one of the guys asked me if I was freezing. I was like, come on. Come on. I live in Scotland. <laughs> you can't scare me with cold. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and tell, tell me, I mean, we, we talked about uh, losing my religion a bit, but music is such a big part of the film. I mean, um, was it always under pressure for that key moment, for example? Like, was that, did it have to be that? No, it wasn't. I think I brought it in because there was like an emotional potency in it, in, in that version of it that pulls the vocals out a little bit that I felt drawn to and we needed something when we were laying it down for the first time, something to give rhythm to the pace of cuts. And, and it was under pressure, and I never in a million years expected it to remain in the cup, but we hit play and... It just worked. Yeah, the, some, something was there. We thought something was there. If our producers, because only our producers saw the very first cut of the film, and if they turned around and said, this is, this is the dumbest decision you made in the whole cut, we would have said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, we'll take it out. But they didn't, and, and they saw something in it too, and it's earnest in a way that we rarely are in the film, expository in a certain way that we are rarely in the film, but I think we felt that we'd eschewed that type of exposition and kind of sentiment almost elsewhere that we'd maybe earned it by that point. Mm -hmm. And what, I mean, you have big songs for a small indie movie. Like, was that a kind of concern as you were putting this stuff together? It was a concern, yeah. It was a concern when we hadn't cleared under pressure and had locked picture. And everybody was hassling my editor for turnover and he just lay back in his chair and he's like, I don't know why they're worried because if you don't have that song, you don't have a movie. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Blair. <laughs> um, no, I mean, we worked, Lucy Bright was our music supervisor. Epic, epic amounts of credit to her because she cleared everything. Wow. Um, she cleared absolutely everything. She's extremely generous and extremely well-connected. And the, I think the only thing she ever protested is that there's a scene, kind of a lull toward the end of the holiday, and it alternates back and forth between their headphones. And I think in a, in a temp cut, she was listening to the Spice Girls, and he's listening to Oasis, and you really can't even hear it. It's very tinny. And she was like, Charlie... 
do you really do you really need Oasis and the Spice Girls at this point in the film? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to protest there because she'd given us absolutely everything else. Yeah. It's, I, sorry, I was saying, it seems that, that the film sort of like dwells on the transience of memory. Do you know what I mean? Like she's trying to remember something from the past. It feels very specific to the era in which the film sat. Because I feel like before then, video cameras were something your rich friends had. And then now everyone has one in their hand. It feels like from that particular era, you have these little glimpses, whether it be on mini DV or something like that, where you, th these things exist, but they're fleeting and they're rare. Yeah, and they're imperfect and they capture really tedious moments and you wish you could see everything beyond yeah. what's actually in the frame. And that was part of the inspiration for that in the film. And I like the idea of anchoring certain moments in the holiday in record mm. so that everything else is really, yeah, straining beyond the frame and remembered or imagined or some combination of the two. And I love that it's Sophie that tends to be in the footage, that, that Paul's always sort of either out of shot or hiding or he's not, and it's, it's all of her. Yeah, thank you for observing that. That was <laughs> the intention. Um, yeah, like I think I, I always saw it as, as his in a way, and it's the only direct point of view you see of his in the film. We were very careful never to show his direct point of view to, to keep point of view anchored in Sophie, but you do see it through the lens, which is in turn seen through her. Yeah. It's, and it's, I, I, not everyone I think will have seen it, so I'm not going to talk about the ending, but I love the fact that you're, you're not giving easy answers. So, so obviously there's a period of time that the film is a, is a memory, and then there is a modern day reflection on that memory, and the intervening years are kept deliberately vague. Like, what was the thinking behind that? The thinking behind that is that they're not vague to me, but I knew that they would be interpreted differently by different people, and I knew that based on the experience I'd had making short films. Um, and I was able to work with that more intentionally this time around. I think that there is space for an audience to fill out the context of the narrative with their own life experiences, their own relationships, but I don't think that changes the feeling at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. And I am most interested in film as expression of feeling. And I think it has some amazing tools at its disposal to do that. And so I'm not too worried about the different interpretations that people bring to exactly what happened, because I think giving the audience that space to interpret and project enables them to form a deeper connection to the emotion of the film. And that's what I'm interested in. Mm. Awesome. Um, we have to wrap it up, I think, pretty soon. But I, I need to know, has Paul changed since the Oscar nomination? <laughs> yeah, he's just become a terrible person. Yeah, yeah. He was such a good person <laughs> before. I can confirm. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. It's really unfortunate. It's, it's really, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. sad, so sad. Well, you know, I mean, you had a, you had a good time, good run. Yeah, we had a good, he had a good run. <laughs> no, it's, it's really special to see. Um, people ask if we've spoken, and it's like, of of course, we were spoken. <laughs> we were like on FaceTime, just screaming around our respective apartments, like flailing the camera in every direction. It was a really exciting moment, and um, yeah, I'm really happy for him. He gave this film. He gave me so much. As long as he shares the contents of the nominee's goodie bag, like that exactly. is the most important thing. So, it's a good point. Yeah, and you're all ball, ball going up for the Baftas already. Yeah. Do you know what you're wearing? Do you no. know what you're wearing? <laughs> so, no. Who are you wearing? Oh my God. <laughs> no, I've got no idea. <laughs> There's time. There's well, time. It's fine. Hopefully. You've got like a week. <laughs> no, yeah. I've got more than that. Well, I don't think I'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> Should the Primarchs open late? I'll, I'll, I'll get my mum to figure it all out. That's like, I'm too young. 
Yeah, pull that out when it's convenient, Frankie. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Thank well, you so much. So, Charlotte Wells, Frankie Corio, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Charlotte Wells, Frankie Corio, everybody! Oh, my little timer went off, little 15-minute timer. I feel like a publicist. Amazing. Uh, I could need a whole one. Um, After Sun is currently showing on Movie. This is the, the technical stuff. And will be out on DVD and Blu-ray later on this month. And hey, look at that. BAFTA voting closes in just a few days. What an incredibly well-timed appearance on a major film podcast. <laughs> eh, voters? Anyway, let's welcome back Ben. Hello, Ben. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> But only Somehow, for... Ben Travis has returned. <laughs> hey! Um, but only for a little while, Ben has to leave us. Oh, Not yeah. like he's dying. Yeah. No. Like... no, it's just past my bedtime. Yeah. yeah. He's leaving on a jet plane. Train. A train, train. Ben has to leave us, so we're going to get into the movie review section, and we're going to start with uh, a film that Ben loves. And that is, of course, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Ben, we're going to leave. Uh, you talk about this movie for the yes. next 25 minutes. No. No, so, five minutes. Let me take you back uh, a couple of months ago when uh, myself and John Nugent went to see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, left the Empire office. I was like, I really want to, let's go see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, There's this early screening, let's go see it. Uh, Heads up, I had heard early good things because my friend, Dr. Sam Summers of the Disneyversity podcast. There it is. Also went to a screening of this on the morning of his 30th birthday and declared it the second best Shrek movie, uh, which is something he's very well versed on. I thought he'd gone nuts, but I was like, I need to see. I need to see what's happening for myself. And so John and I went to see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, If I could have captured the faces of the Empire team when they came back from that screening and raved about how Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is vital cinema. (laughs) I mean... It is. I had this. Remember when I went to see Paddington and I came back walking in air and I was like, guys, I think Paddington may be one of the greatest films I've ever seen. And Jumanji. And Jumanji, I yep. came back and Jumanji's amazing. You guys Mitchell's did. versus the Machines, where I was like, guys, Mitchell's versus the Machines is a five-star film. It's incredible. And everyone was like, is it though? You think we learned by now to listen to Ben. <laughs> so The Rise of Skywalker, right? Um, <laughs> no! But Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, this is, like, the level of expectation for this is so low. This is a sequel to a spin-off to a sequel in a franchise that has just lost what it was in the first place. All that satirical streak of the original Shrek is just long gone by now. Um, But somehow it's fucking incredible. (laughs) Puss in Boots, the last wish. So Antonia Banderas is back as Puss in Boots. Uh, Salma Hayek is back as Kitty Softpaws, who was a character from the previous Puss in Boots movie. And basically, the whole film kicks off with this incredible, incredible, super kinetic action sequence that is imagine like, so it's taking on a lot of the Spider-Verse animation qualities. This is a very firmly post-Spider-Verse movie. Imagine a Spider-Verse sequence, but it's a little cat fighting the giant bean monster from Hellboy 2. It's that. And it is 
astonishing. It's eye-popping. It's so exciting. It's all set to music where it has that almost like baby driver-ish thing where the action is happening in rhythm to the music with just some of the wildest visual shit you've seen in years. In a, it? It's painterly, isn't it? It's like it's almost like oil painting. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's like digital brushstroke stylings. Uh, talk amongst yourselves while I look up the director. <laughs> I've written this down. Uh, Animation is a director's medium, Ben. Shame <laughs> on you for not knowing. It was directed by Puss in Boots. It was, which is super impressive. It was directed by Joel Crawford. Um, and yeah, the story here is that Puss in Boots uh, is down to his last life. He has nine lives. He is down to his last life and is freaking out that the next time he dies, he <laughs> the next time he dies, he's going to die. And so he decides to go off on a quest to find a magical wishing star that he can wish upon that star to get the rest of his lives back. So he sets off on a quest with Kitty Softpaws, uh, also with an adorable little chihuahua called Pedo. Um, and they're going to find the star. Also, you have Goldilocks and the Three Bears, who are like a Guy Ritchie gangster family, voiced by people like Florence Pugh is Goldilocks. You have the uh, Bears being voiced by Ray Winston, Olivia Coleman, and Samson Ko. And you also have uh, John Mulaney voicing uh, a human villain, Jack Horner. So they're all trying to get the star. Meanwhile, Puss in Boots is freaking out with like proper PTSD panic attacks about the fact that this wolf with sickle blades who is genuinely terrifying is on his tail. And it's this whole like beautiful, thoughtful adventure movie about this hero having to come to terms with the fact that he is going to die and it's for kids <laughs> and the fights are like absolutely out of this world. And it's got this song where it's like, he's your favorite fearless hero, which is in my, I've still only seen this once and it's been months it's and that fair. is still stuck in my head. Puss <laughs> and Boots, The Last Wish is vital cinema. It will make you feel alive. And I know I sound nuts, but you're going to listen back to this. If you're listening to this in a world where that movie is out and you've seen it, you will know that I'm correct and nobody on this panel is going to disagree with me. Yes! Ben Travis! So, so I had to watch this film. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> and you have to understand my life, which is hates joy, hates humour. Having to sit next to Ben is a trial because, because he'll go off and see a terrible film, Star Wars, whatever you like, and he'll come back so full of beans and so excited about it that you just want to drown him in a sack. You want to drown him in a sack? That's not how you do it. You put him in the sack and then you drown him. And the amount of times we've been through this was, like, oh, we come back, we've seen the film. Oh, is it good? Ben thought it was four stars. Again, is it good? Has anyone seen it? Could anyone tell me what it's like? You know, it's just background noise. And the only thing that annoys me in the world more than a Shrek is when he's right. <laughs> and it happened with Mitchell versus the Machines. And he was like, oh, I saw this animation on Netflix. It's five stars. It was like, oh, just fuck off. <laughs> it's a five-star film. I think we had a similar situation with Onward, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Which I mean, that isn't a five-star film. But it's okay. not a five. Well, okay, my, I can't remember. Apparently, I agreed with him publicly on Twitter. It's on Twitter. Oh, I can't disavow it at this stage, but I choose to remember it differently. But I went to see this under more sufferance than I, like, I can't tell you how much I didn't want to see this film. Because Shrek and like the Shrek films, like at least the second one's good, right? The second yeah, one's good, yeah, like really the first good. one. But there's something about them 
that's deeply fucking irritating. Like, there's just something smug and annoying about those films that makes you want to punch them in the face. But the, and Puss in Boots was not a great spin-off. But Whoa! This, no, it, no, it's not. No, no, no. Come on. This, come is, on. this is better than Puss in Boots. But this... Well, yeah, but that's not difficult. This is, Hang this on, is magnificent. <laughs> like, it looks beautiful. It's incredibly adult. It's incredibly poignant. Like, it really gets you. It's really funny. The action set pieces are, like, spectacular. And you're just like, I don't understand the world. Like, I don't want to live in a world where Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, is a four-star film, and yet here we fucking are. And I don't really know what to do with it. Sounds that. like a five for our boy. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I reviewed this for us, and spoiler alert, I didn't go the full five. I will say, for me, the, the Goldilocks and the Three Bears stuff was, like, notably a rung below oh, everyone else. And it, once it gets into that av- adventure plotting, it's like... It'll be a sort of three-star film for about 15 minutes, and then it will explode into the most incredible five-star sequence for about 10 minutes, and then it will kind of chill out for a bit and do some all right stuff. It really builds again towards the end. There was just a couple of moments through the middle where the the stuff that, that is so good is exceptional, and it makes the stuff that's not quite as exceptional stand out as being a little bit average. But just overall, you smooth that out, and it's it's proper amazing. The stabby tabby. Yeah. Oh, he is a stubby tubby. He is a stubby tubby. I don't, I don't have a lot of affection for the Shrek movies. Um, I, I never loved the animation style. I had real problems with the way they moved. And I, I, all the Shrek films, including the shorts, are about him learning to appreciate the value of people. Every single one. And this kind of also does that. And, um, and so I was a little bit, you know, resistant to moments in this where it kind of got towards that Shrekiness. But... It is really fucking good. Like it it's gorgeously put together, and um, and so now I suddenly feel like you know best animated category at the Oscars is more of a fight than I thought it was before. I still think it's going to be Pinocchio. But this was but. the thing, like, you, like everyone, there was a bit when they read out the Oscar nominations and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and everyone was like, "What? Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I was here for my year of dicks, but this is fucking ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> you were yeah, there it's... for my year of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Oh, <God. laughs> um, but no, this this is this is. Um, Really good. It's weird that I, I so I saw. We're going to talk about some of the other films, but I saw it in a day. Yes, we are. We are at some point. We we should talk about <laughs> some of the other films. I saw it in in the middle of a day <laughs> of really grindingly serious, often dark movies. And I was like, well, at least I've got Puss in Boots scheduled for the middle of the day and that will be a ray of sunshine. And it's literally all about the fear of death. Yeah. Um, so that was a surprise. But but no, it is really good. It's really we're good. Sorry, uh, we do have two actual five-star films to talk about as well as two massive uh, films from great big Hollywood filmmakers. Uh, But this is The Power of Puss in Boots and The Power of Ben Travis. Four stars in for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And I think on that note, Ben, it is 21.35. He's identified his victim. He's stalked them all week. It's one of you. <laughs> but which one? This is, this is a cracking Columbo, by the way, uh, where there's a live show and then one of the hosts goes, oh, I've got to go to get a train, right? But you don't go to get your train. You just lurk within the walls of King's Place and then kill the person that you want to kill when they, they come out. And, uh, and then because everyone thinks you're on the train to wherever it is you're going, I, I presume Glasgow. I don't know why. Uh, and then Columbo comes in. He's like, oh, you, sir, you, you, you didn't get on the train, sir. You didn't have your ticket, sir. And then, yeah, there you go. That's wow. it. Wow. Who needs Mark Ruffalo in the town? <laughs> We've got Columbo right here. <laughs>
<laughs> and Popeye. That's a yeah. twofer. Columbo and Popeye coming together. Yeah. The dream team. Uh, it will be called My Year of Dicks. Um, <laughs> For My Year of Dicks, subscribe to Pilot Plus now. Oh, one ninety nine a month. Whoa, on that's, that's, Pilot TV. That's a very different plus. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know we were I mean, what? My we, words. we do what we must, Helen. We do what we must. My words. Pay the bills. Safe journeys, Ben. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for giving me. Bye, Ben. Bye. Bye. He's gone away. All right. Fucking hell. Rise uh, Skywalker, then. We'll let it right. shit. We have a bit. They have to ask us questions and stuff. You've got we to have to do oh, like, there there more films. We've got to do like a meet and greet. Okay. And, like, films. Films. Come on. There are more yeah. films. We have oh, to talk about films. I'm just, I'm so, I can't. There's no, this pointless without Ben. Thanks. It's pointless without him. Fucking. He's the best of us. Is he though? He is. <sighs> Next up, it's the return of M. Night Shyamalan with Knock at the Cabin, based on the cabin at the end of the world by author Paul Tremblay. I think it's Tremblay, but see, little Jacob Tremblay pronounces it Tremblay, but yeah, you would look at that and go Tremblay. Anyway, I'm probably this, this is what the show overrunning. Well. This tells the story of two men whose idyllic break with their adopted daughter at a remote cabin is interrupted by the sudden arrival of a group of intruders led by Dave Batista and featuring... There's no getting around it, Ron Weasley, uh, <laughs> who tell them something wild. The world is about to end, and only the sacrifice of one of their number will avert the apocalypse. So, Jimbo, yeah. is the twist from the Master of Twists? Is it Jimbo or Helen? I thought it was me. I'm Jimbo, I she's Helen. <laughs> Wasn't I doing this one? I'm doing this one. Right? Oh, oh, whatever. Go, go right, for it. Sorry, I'd written down James, but hang on, I'm just going to edit that. We're largely interchangeable, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Helen, is the twist from the Master of Twists that after a couple of middling efforts, middling, uh, in glass and old, mm. is he back at his business at night? Yeah, I think this one is his best in years. It's fantastic. It has very, very, very strong source material to work from. For a large part of this film, it sticks very close to the book, and rightly so, because I think it's incredibly... Um, fraught premise and then it does veer off at a point which I won't get into too much um, perhaps to the film's detriment perhaps to its strength I think there's an interesting conversation Hence to be the had change, there but it's yeah I guess that's why the name change um, but I think it's it's massively a spoiler conversation to say whether that is maybe we'll do it at the end of the year or something but um, or a spoiler podcast or a spoiler podcast subscribe now just two ninety nine a month <laughs> so uh, but what this what this does really well is this is a kind of moral horror this is like what if it's like had rural to, juror like a rural, <laughs> it's moral horror if, rural juror is a moral horror it's like what if you had to make an impossible choice what if you had to make an unthinkable choice like spoiler with, specials or pilot plus <laughs> Make that choice. I mean, a, that's an easy one. That's not really a big. I'm wondering if I could fit on that sofa. No. Please don't Please try. It is. Uh... This is not Helen's year of dicks. Please carry on. Oh, it is. Every year is my year of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> I think she's being flanked by two great dicks right now. So, uh, Helen, please carry ignore on. my comrade and please carry on. These petty interruptions mm. derailing uh. you. Yeah, this is, but this is a, you know, what if you were asked to make an unthinkable choice with unfathomable consequences is, is the basic idea of this. And it is, I thought, really, really well portrayed. So that the couple played by Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge as Eric and Andrew uh, and their adorable daughter uh, played by Kristen Q are 
you know, a really likable, believable, normal family. They're not perfect. They all have their strengths and weaknesses, but you, you buy them, you're invested in them, you want the best for them. And then these four people turn up led by Dave Bautista, who is extraordinary in this film. He is absolutely just the calm center of this film. And they also seem torn and tortured by, by the choice that they're imposing on these people. And so you get this incredible push and pull where there is this, like I say, impossible choice to be made, incredible stakes. These four people are absolutely firm that something bad is going to happen if this doesn't, if they don't make this choice. Um, but why would you believe them? And why would you believe them with these kind of stakes, you know? So I, I just think it's it's a really well-played um, horror concept. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant setup. And it, it plays out in a sort of believable, awful, terrifying way. Really, really tense stuff, really well-paced. And it plays out against, you know, the background of this kind of idyllic cabin. I mean, it's even got like a wall of books. Oh, oh my God. Heavenly. This is the most amazing Airbnb you've ever seen it in is. your life. You're right. It has floor to ceiling, like oak bookcases on every wall. And then there's like a lake at the back. You can it's just jump just off the dock ridiculous. into the lake and there's all these <laughs> trees. Oh my God. It's, it's delightful. And then awful things happen. Yeah. And then awful things as yeah. with all Airbnbs. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, it's, but what's interesting about this is because it's adapted from a book because it's not an original story. It's not a showy, I think, as a lot of nights work. And I really like that about this because it's 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 not what you like that idea of cabin in the woods, home invasion, it's such a such an old thing, old, such an old thing to do. But he does it in a really sedate, almost gentle, sort of underplayed way. It's not it's not particularly gory film. It's actually very restrained. It's never kind of lurid in its violence. Uh, and Bautista, like his character, and in fact, all of their characters are incredibly soft and they're menacing because they're not loud, they're not showy, they're not overplayed. It's quite chilling in how genteel it is. It's really odd, but it has such relentless tension. Like, it is almost not dispelled at any point. It just gets more and more and more until you think you're going to die. Um, really, like it was incredibly stressful to watch, but it's incredibly effective as well. And um, Bautista, who has so many lines in this, like more than I think, and I said this in the review, I think it's probably more than all his other roles combined he yeah. has in this film. But he's really, really good. And I think this is, it seems like it's reductive to his work on Guardian stuff to say, well, this is his first acting role. And it's not quite that, but it feels like it's acting, like with a capital A. And you actually think, instead of he's playing a larger-than-life character, this, for me, is the first time he's actually been like, you know what, he's actually become a really good actor. Yeah. And I don't think you can take that away from him. I mean, actually, I'm really Thanks, interested yeah. to see what he does from this and how his career expands. Mm. Um, because it's not... Because he's a physical force. I mean, he's mm. fucking massive. Uh, but this is the first one where it's not about his physicality. It's a part of it, but it's 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 a real character-driven right. performance. But yeah, it's really good. It's yep. it's one of my favorite. It's a very movies. very strong week at the old movies yeah. uh, this week. Uh, so we gave this one four stars. Four stars then for Knock at the Cabin, uh, and there are two five-star movies this week. Um, the first one is Eo from the great Polish director and star of the Avengers, yeah. uh, Jerzy Skolomowski. And I probably butchered his name, and I apologize. I'm sure he won't mind. Mm. Um, yeah, so this is uh, another Shrek-like spin-off about Donkey. Uh, <laughs> it, no, it's not. Uh, so this is... Do you remember when I saw um, Andrew Arnold's uh, Cow and you were all like, kind of amazed that I liked this film about a cow, this silent film about a cow? Um, 
And this had the same effect on me. It's just a film about a donkey called Eo, and it's it's Polish, it's Polish language. I mean, it's donkey language, but there's some Polish in it as well. Uh, and it starts with him in a circus, and he, you know, he he has a trainer who loves him, and then ironically, animal rights activists free him from the circus, and he wanders the countryside, kind of getting into adventures like The Littlest Hobo, and. But but you know you joke, but it's it's through it's this it's almost like a, a treatise on the human condition through the eyes of this donkey, and you know there's beautiful sequences where he's just walking through the forest and then looking in a shop window, literally browsing a shop window at one point, and and then all these little human dramas play on around him, and some of them are funny, and some of them are whimsical, and some of them are odd, and some of them are really horrific. Like there's a really nasty murder uh, that he randomly witnesses. Uh, and then there's a moment where he's beaten up by football hooligans, and it's shocking and it's upsetting, and it's from the donkey's point of view. Um, and you know, it, it doesn't have a plot in the truest sense. It's really just what this donkey, this incredibly chilled-out donkey's experience of life is, and the ups and downs that go with it. But there's just something stunning about it, and it's it almost has a dreamlike quality. There are bits where you know the donkey's face almost blends into the forest, and the forest takes on the shape of the donkey. There's a moment where the the donkey's almost dreaming, and you see this sort of dream, whatever a donkey would dream about, carrots presumably, um, and you see like, almost like the donkey's subconscious. It sounds fucking wild, and it is. And, and there's a bit randomly when the donkey gets beaten up and then suddenly we see a robot running through the woods because, of course, we see a robot running through the woods. Um, but it's stunning, it's beautiful, it's dreamlike, it's sort of mesmerizing, uh, and it's really unexpected. And it's really quite touching. Like You do feel like you get inside this donkey's soul. And yes, that's a sentence that I just fucking said. Um, we gave this five stars. Alex wrote a beautiful review of this, and he said, I had a similar reaction when he came back. He said, it's a five-star film about a donkey. A, a broadly dialogue-free film about a donkey. And it's just like, Alex. Oh, God, Alex. But do you know what? He's not wrong. It's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. I, I encourage everyone to go and see it because it's, it's a delight. So, you know, donkeys. Wow. Yeah, they're having Everything a year. about the donkeys. Yeah. Bray for mercy. Oh, God. Oh, no. Don't make an ass of yourself. Oh, come on. Oh, boy. Uh, I've just finished my new book. Don't. Don't it's do about it. a man who is Don't. obsessed with making porridge for mules. It's called Donkey Oti. <laughs> Oof. Um, wow. We have so many more reviews to do. Yeah. So many. Five stars then for EO, and also five stars, spoiler alert, for St. Omer from the French documentarian Alice Diop, although this is not a documentary, Hell's Bells. No, uh, it's Saint Omer, and. Um, oh, sorry. She, it is, but it is based on a true case, and it is based on a true case that she actually went and witnessed and sat in court, like the one of the herons of this film does, Rama, who's played by. Uh, oh. Kaije Kagame, who um, is a you know a writer and a, a lecturer, and she goes to the town of Saint Omer to see this this trial of a woman uh, called Laurence, um, who's played by just the extraordinary uh, Guzlaji Malonda, and basically this woman says is accused of uh, murdering her baby, and she has admitted to doing that in her police interviews but also pleads not guilty because she doesn't, she says she wasn't basically in her right mind at the time and she doesn't know why she did it and she can't explain it, but she didn't want to do it. And so the whole trial is basically essentially everyone trying to understand why this 
why this horrific act happened, what led to this, what were the circumstances of this. Um, and the French court process, I'm not going to get into my, you know, experience of French law because I spent a year in Paris, thanks very much, studying it. Do tell um, <laughs> but um, but it is, it's very different to here. It's not the sort of adversarial process here. It's more a process of discovery and it's more the judge asking questions of the defendant, of the witnesses, of the police, of everyone, um, to get the, the true story of what happened. So that's kind of the, the attitude of this whole story. But it will literally be for large, for minutes and minutes at a time, it will be a static shot of Malonda's face. And she's kind of, she tends to be all dressed in like light browns, the same color as the wood of the courtroom behind her. So she almost fades into the, the color of the court with just her face kind of, um, your absolute focus, and she's just trying to explain how she came to this point in her life and what led her to this and what happened. Um, and it's absolutely kind of riveting stuff. Like it's 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 really it's not an easy watch at times. It's very very upsetting, obviously, but the the detail and the pacing of it, and you know the fact that Rama is sort of almost being drawn on this journey with her and feeling this incredible kinship with this woman who has done this awful thing, it, it just creates this incredibly tense dynamic, even though they, you know, they don't really speak. There's no real connection there. Um, it's, but, it, but there is at the same time, you know, um, brilliantly, brilliantly put together. <laughs> what the hell just happened? I think, I think the flash just entered the speed. Yeah. <laughs> Did someone explode? <laughs> Just, we should stop inviting Spinal Tap drummers to the, uh, to the live shows. <laughs> but yeah, it, look, it's an extraordinary film. You can see why it's gotten essentially critical raves across the board. But it's, it's not your average courtroom drama. This is not going to be thundering cross-examinations and you know, exciting kind of sudden um, unfoldings of stuff. Although there is a killer speech towards the end, a killer speech that puts a lot of it in context. So yeah, love you. Fantastic. Je suis out of order. Vous êtes out of order. Yeah. You can't handle le truth. Yeah. <laughs> La vérité, like it's a very well-known French word. Like no? Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Five stars in. Five stars. Saint Omer. Saint Omer. Saint Omer. I'm really struggling with Duolingo at the moment. You're doing so well. Though. A little owl prick. I know. He keeps. They keep changing. They keep like teaching me weird stuff in Italian. I'm really struggling. Why do I need to know that there's an ant in the sugar? Do you know what I mean? It's not useful. Well, it is useful. If there is an ant in the sugar, yeah. sure. But how long? I don't know the way to the library. Literally the whole plot of Medicine Man. I guess. <laughs> or indeed ants, probably. I don't know. Uh, all right. Final film this week. Uh, potential best actor winner alert. Mm. As Adam Sandler returns. <laughs> In Murder Mystery 2. No, it's Brendan Fraser in The Whale, uh, and which is the story of Charlie, a man who weighs almost 600 pounds. Now he's suffering from congenital heart failure and he tries to reconnect with his estranged daughter, played by Sadie Sink. This is, of course, the latest film from Darren Aronofsky. It's based on a play by Samuel D. Hunter. Um, and lots of people have been raving about the performance, but not necessarily. But the film, Jimbo, yeah. is that pretty much on the money? I really like the film, actually, which is unusual for me and Darren Aronofsky, if I'm honest with you. But uh, so it, the thing is, you say it's based on a play. It's not based on a play. It's it a play uh, to the point where, and it's not just because it's in a single set and it's very theatrical, but literally the, the acting. There's a bit where a guy's having a dialogue and someone says something to him and he's just like, and he just goes... <laughs> 
it's like it's so theatrical it's almost ridiculous and it, uh, there were points where i was almost laughing i was like this is fucking absurd but there's something about this that really got me and like so the performance is is amazing like it is amazing and it's not just the prosthetics and the fact that he's huge it's such a soulful beautiful performance because there's something about this guy who's dealing with this this profound trauma that's caused him to do this to himself but also that's just destroyed his soul and at the end of his life which is essentially where he is here he's found a measure of peace and he tries to reconnect with his daughter played by Sadie Sink who's fantastic in this and there's something about that about him reaching out and almost he's almost blight she's quite caustic she's difficult her mother who's played by Samantha Morton basically says she's evil uh, and she's challenging let's not fuck about but but he doesn't see anything he just sees this child of his and he sees right to her core and it's just beautiful and i'm not like i was crying my eyes out at the end of this film absolutely destroyed me uh, i was a complete wreck i thought it was i really thought it was beautiful and i know people haven't necessarily had that relationship with this and people have been like oh, it was a great performance but the film <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was wonderful. I really thought it was wonderful. Like, we gave it three, and, and that's fair. And I think that's what most people seem to think. I'd have probably gone four just because it really, it really got me. It did. You have revealed like a weird hidden facet of, I struggle to say the word, humanity <laughs> this week. What can I say? The donkey has awakened something uh, inside me. Yeah. That sounds like a phrase that you would say on Duolingo. I- the donkey has awakened something in me. Yeah. It's exactly that. Because I've subscribed to Donkey Plus. I was about to say, it's more of me and the donkey. Uh, well, on our only yeah. <laughs> That's my year of ass. It's Pilot Plus. Be amazing. If Pilot Plus was just you doing a donkey show, that would be... Oh, God. That would be wild. It's worth more than two um, pounds a month. <laughs> anyway... Not, not to live down to his, his dismissive comments, but I thought it was a great performance, but the film was, eh. You have no soul. I do have a soul. I thought the performance was absolutely beautiful. I'll also say that Hong Chao, who plays yes. his, his one kind of confidant and, yeah. and very close friend, is also wonderful in it. And their relationship and their bond is a wonderful through line because, you know, while, while Sadie Sink's daughter is kind of pushing him away the whole time, she's the one who's trying to reach out to him and, and keep him tied to this world and keep him fighting, basically, to live longer. Um, and Brenda Fraser is, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's harsh. That seems harsh. I mean, look. Wow. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> oh, we're never going to finish the reviews. <laughs> What the fuck? Was that Pennywise? <laughs> Just coming in going... Hi, <laughs> kids. We all float down here and the whale is three stars. <sighs> I just stop. I mean, it's just that wasn't me. I wasn't me. I know. I didn't give that guy a special signal. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, Helen, before you were so rudely interrupted. Okay, does anyone have like two massive symbols? (laughs) Right, when Helen says the words, Brendan Fraser, smash them together. The star of the mummy <laughs> is super good in this film. That's John cool. Hannah? Yeah. Oh, you said super good. There we go. You did, yeah. I did say super good. Anyone close to winning the bingo? We have a winner, everybody! <laughs> All right. 
Come and see us. Uh, come and see us at the end, and you'll get your prize. It may be a, an hour alone with James at this point. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening. Anyway, Helen. Just to say before we go, because I also watched it and I want to mention it. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which came out last week, which I didn't see in time to review last week, is fascinating. It's another five. Another five. Yeah, it's um, so Nan Golden, who was like a massive photography art star, um, had, and it's kind of her life story going through like her really, really key role in sort of popularizing the kind of counterculture of the 1970s and 80s, and um, and then going through to the present day where her activism has been against the Sackler family, who are responsible for the opiate oh. crisis, Purdue Pharma, yeah. and basically trying to get their name taken off all the galleries and so on. So the, the idea is that they have kind of um, art washed their reputation, whitewashed their reputation by funding all of this great art in the greatest galleries of the world, the Louvre, the Met in New York, the, the National Gallery, the National Portrait Gallery. Um, and she, her, she makes it her mission to get their name taken off these art museums because their actions have led to the, a bunch of deaths, as you saw in that Michael Keaton series. Dopesick. Um, Dopesick, yeah. yeah. Um, if you haven't read the articles and everything about it. But anyway, it's a really fascinating kind of two-pronged documentary going back through her life, which is a lot, and then also into her activism in the present day. Really clever. In with a chance of best documentary, I think, at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, front runner, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all right. Five stars for that, and three stars then for The Well. And that's Sorry, it James. for the reviews section of the show. Thank you very much indeed. All right. Time now for our second guest, a man who is one of Britain's finest filmmakers, an Oscar-winning director who is able to flit seemingly effortlessly between incredible documentaries about some of the most famous icons of the 20th century and sweeping, affecting dramas. His latest movie, Creature, is released on February 24th and pushes the envelope in a variety of ways, capturing the emotional ache and physical pain and the stunning choreography of the English National Ballet and Akram Khan's latest collaboration. Please welcome the director of The Warrior, Senna, Ali Anino, Amy, Diego Maradona, and now, of course, Creature, the great Asif Kapadia! <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello, hello. And one microphone for you. Please be seated. Hello. Now, Asif, it's just, it's just you and me up here, so this is your choice. Do you want me on the sofa or do you want me here? Nah, no, you're right. Okay. Which one is it? I don't mind. No, I, I, if I'm from there, sit there. I'll sit here. I'll sit here. That way you... <laughs> no, this is weird. I'm going to go over here. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, first things I mean, first. You can come closer. You can come a little bit closer. I'll, I'll move in. Which is better I'll on the podcast. In. Precisely. <laughs> is it better on the podcast? <laughs> I guess it is. Um, this is great. We were talking backstage, uh, Asif and I, and believe me, um, <laughs> we were talking about this. We're not going to talk about Liverpool Football Club, despite the fact you're a massive red. I think we should cancel the season. <laughs> How can anyone think of football when the Queen is dead? Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. It's all bullshit. Clearly. Nothing matters. Cancel it. Let's it's clearly on the players' minds. Have a, we need a year of mourning. Yeah. They can't kick the ball straight. Start next year. Absolute farce. Doesn't count. There's an asterisk yeah. on whoever wins anything. <laughs> it's all bullshit. Precisely. Unless we win the Champions League, in which case we'll and have this conversation cool. again. It's bullshit. It bullshit. starts in May, the season. Unless we win right. some. But we won't. So we won't. Whatever. We won't. We won't. What we will talk about Queen is... is dead. Is can't. <laughs> the Queen is dead. <laughs> I did not have this Tragic. in my bingo card when I came back. 
Asif is coming hot, everybody. I um, said the queen is dead, <laughs> and they all laughed. I know. <laughs> Clearly not a group of monarchists here, I don't think. But uh, should we talk about Creature? Yes. Let's do that, because yes. we could talk about the, the Reds or the Queen uh, for a while, but let's talk about Creature. Uh, I'm not sure I did it justice in, in my, in my build-up. How would you describe this to people who haven't yet seen it? Well, I, I was hoping you'd help, because it's, it's quite mad. I tried, yeah. It's quite different, it's quite original, it's intense, and it's like an experience, I suppose, is what it is. That For me... It's an adaptation of this amazing choreographer, Akram Khan, who had a show that he put on with these brilliant dancers. And then it's one of those kinds of experiences because of kind of COVID and other things, they couldn't perform it. So I got a call. Many films begin with like, you get a random phone call and you're like, okay, let's go and see. Let's find out more. So I, I went along and I watched a rehearsal mm -hmm. of a show and I watched Akram working and then watching him choreograph was very much like a director watching a director working with actors. And at some point, they just pressed a button and they went for it. And I was just like blown away. It was really like full-on intense in your face. And, and, I, and I speak as someone who... I'm a cinema lover. I like seeing things on a big screen. I wear glasses. I like close-ups. So for me, you know, I love theatre and I love going to see other kind of live experiences, but I'm a fidgeter. All of those things yeah, I yeah. sometimes struggle with. But I saw this and I was like, this is amazing. And I think it's a movie and I would love to shoot it and make a film out of it, but make a film which isn't a record of a show, but to make it something different. And so there is close-ups and there's cutting and there's reverse shots and so it's somewhere in the middle of various things and that's what I found really interesting as a filmmaker and then the idea was to kind of put that intensity on the screen so for me it's very pure cinema yeah it's basically music and performance there is for me a story but even if you don't feel the story you're going to feel some sort of emotions that's the idea I thought it was incredibly intense it's fantastic we were talking backstage I haven't been lucky enough to see it on a on a big screen yet but um, but it's going to be amazing. But even on a, on the small screen, I was captivated, and I thought it was so intense. And then the lead, uh, or maybe you mispronounce it, Jeffrey Serio. Yeah. Okay. Extraordinary. Uh, he's, he's like a rock star. He's an amazing actor. He's a, the most incredible performer and dancer. But what it is is in in our film, you have close-ups. So what he can do these incredible things with his body. But may, maybe certain dancers are not great. You know, that's not their job. But what what Akram has got out of him and what he can do, Jeffrey, I think he's a film star. You know, mm. you see this, and I can see him if he wants to have any other life doing movies again. He could. Mm. He has got something amazing. And there's an element of kind of something quite heavy and serious and sad, but is also like Chaplin, you know? Yeah. So he's brilliant. Yeah. And you start the film with kind of this close-up of his back, which feels like... Or is it? You don't or, really or is know it? what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, and are these, the moon? These... Are we in space? Where are Precisely. we? Precisely. That's because it feels like a tundra almost yeah. in, in a way. And then you have these, these fingers that creep in from the side of the, of the screen. It's kind of spooky. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really unsettling film uh, in many ways. Right. But also brilliant. And you should go and see it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, but that, that was the intention, yeah. was to make something quite uncomfortable and unsettling and moody and... It's about, there are lots of themes in there. Is it a love story? Is it about, you know, is it a sci-fi film? Is it set in the future? Is it about, yeah. you know, the environment? 
is it an authoritarian regime that comes in and kind of uses people and spits them out? You know, there's a lot of stuff and different people who see it have their own reading of it, which also is cool. You know, it's fine to kind of have your own version. One person saw it and said, you know, it's about certain people in the movie industry who take advantage <laughs> of people. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know, that. and kind of point and say, I can make you a star if you, you know, give me what I want. You know, there's all of this kind of reading that different people have had, which I thought was really interesting. So creature could reflect the contempt of certain people. Not, not it's definitely about power. Yeah, yeah. It's about I mean, famously, power. Hitchcock, you know, was talking about how, how he saw actors as props. So you could maybe, you know, extend that, that here as well. Yeah, and other people who are kind of known, in the, in accused the, and prosecuted abusers indeed, in yeah. the industry. Absolutely. Wow. And, uh, but, so how did you do it then? How do you, how do you impose your personality and will as a director on something where someone has already so, made so, it? So, yeah, that, that was part of the challenge was, okay, so... The, the original idea is kind of based on, it could be Frankenstein, it could be Wojciech, this kind of old Bruckner play. Um, so Akram created his show with the English ballet dancers. So you've got Akram, who's a very particular kind of designer, um, choreographer, sorry. And then you have the ballet. And it's not a ballet. There's no tutus. It's not that kind of ballet, right? He's basically doing his thing. And then we turn up, the film crew, uh, my DOP, my cameraman's Daniel Landin, who shoots sort of Jonathan Glazer's films. Mm. He's done a lot of great movies and a lot of music videos. He's fantastic, but done a lot of dance and stuff as well. So the film crew then come along and you have this kind of meeting of three different groups of people. And we were very clear we're going to be on the stage we're going to be in the middle of it we're in between getting close-ups and getting reaction shots and so we had to break it all up into pieces we only had 10 days to shoot the whole film the film was made really fast 10 days to shoot the film we had about three weeks to edit it my editor was in paris she cuts all of luke besson's films so she did leon and she did wow. biff element and films like that but because it was during that kind of mad period when we couldn't travel and do anything we never met so the whole thing was she cut it in Paris. I was in London and it was all like a series of phone calls and Zoom calls and WhatsApp, directing via WhatsApp, you know. <laughs> and, but it was great. It was one of those like, we're going to make this film and we're going to get it out there. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it was done. So we had 10 days and traditionally, you know, when you go to the stage and you have a show, you have an act one and act two. So week one, we shot act one. And then second week, second five days, we shot act two. And I had to kind of break it into pieces to figure out how to do it. Because it's really physical and technical, you can't just get everyone to do everything 50 times a day, right? They're exhausted. Yeah, yeah. So you might only get two or three takes. So it all becomes about how do you shoot it and then cover the next piece and the next piece and the next piece and plan it and put cameras. And I you know, would put cameras and hide them behind the set, over the set, under the set, on the camera, various places, on dancers to kind of get... The, the enough material to cut with so it was a really interesting kind of project of how to make a film quickly and viscerally and intensely the other thing is the music is big and loud and it's an amazing score by vincenzo lamanga so when you film it there's no sync sound you can't record anything so everything you hear as we did my same guy um, Stephen griffiths who did diego maradona mm -hmm. every kick of the ball in diego maradona was added afterwards every footstep every bit of breathing all of that was post done wow so we work together again, and everything that you hear from the dancers, breathing, footsteps, cloth, to anything that's happening is all done in post. So you have to kind of create the feeling of being in there and close. You, to feel it, and you need to hear it. And so all of that has to be added. So it was quite a mad technical exercise. That's wild. That's wild. And, and how did the presence of the cameras and, and, and you uh, change 
how the dancers perform because there's one thing yeah it did change yeah it becomes a kind of much more organic kind of meeting of minds between myself Akram and the dancers and I'd be like you know sometimes there'll be moments and I go I don't really understand what's going on what is this about and Akram the choreographer said well it's a metaphor and you go that's great but in a film I need to show something <laughs> what I, which, which bit is the important bit you know is it that or that and so he's like it's up to you and go yeah I go all okay. right so then it was like this element of saying well I'm gonna stay here and therefore I can't see what's going on over there so if I have a close-up here what if the action moved and came in like you would normally do when you're shooting a film you'd block it and make it work for the camera but when you've got dancers who are doing like 10 20 each takes 10 or 20 minutes you can't just turn up and do one bit you've got to build up to it so they have to step back and rework out and reprogram in a way their footsteps for every member of the cast in order for me to get a shot so it becomes quite a complicated moving beast and a process and that that was great and um, I think Akram really got into it and I think the dancers really got into it because they realised, ah, there are moments when you're off screen, there are moments when you're on screen. It's a different kind of yeah, yeah. mood you have to do, which actors do all the time, where if you're a dancer, they're all on it because the audience can see every single one of them all the time. And you, the audience, decide who you're looking at. Obviously, when you're doing a film, we decide who you're looking at. We decide where the close-up is. We decide where reaction is. We decide when to pull out wide, when to do a reverse into like the void. So that, that was all kind of, it was a fun kind of meeting of minds and styles and, and we were learning on the job, to be honest. <laughs> so this, 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 I guess, test of your skills and you're learning on the job and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a completely different uh, test of your filmmaking muscles in a way. Was this exactly what you were looking for after Diego Maradona? Yeah, also it was, a, it was I'd, I'd done a couple of other series um, where I was an exec on, I was kind of running, which were lots of post-heavy projects um which happened during kind of back in the covid that i did for various streamers so it was nice to just be thrown in the middle of something back on set shooting with a small crew really quickly and just like we're going to just make a movie let's just make a movie and then figure out what we do with it you know it was one of those indie films and it, and so yeah it was really good it was like a I like to experiment. I like to do different things. So that's why I've done drama and feature films. And You're I like possible to predict doing docs. <laughs> and I make short films. Yeah. And I did a VR film and I've done series. Yeah, yeah. And so this was like, it's really, it's just great for the soul and the brain to do something completely different and have a new set of challenges. And then, hope, you know, put it out there for an audience to say, what do you think? What do you, because I feel like, you know, sometimes you can feel there's a lot of the same thing that gets made or gets shown. And it's nice for as a filmmaker to make something different, but also for the audience to have the option of something challenging and different. So I'm really glad you liked it. I'm really glad I'm yeah, here yeah. to be able yeah. to talk to you and your audience because it's, a, it's unusual. <laughs> but, it's, but it's, like I said, I think it's pure cinema. I think yeah. it's kind of really intense and visual. And when Captain America turns up, guys, don't worry, it's, it's fine. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're impossible to predict. So that's good. How do you? What, what's next for you? Have you? It's all kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm in the middle. I'm making something now. So I've just come from the edit suite. I'm in the middle of another film, which is a. It's a doc with elements of drama in it, so it's a bit of a hybrid, and it's set in the future. Come to give me more than that, but it's about what I'm not gonna swear. It's about what's going on in the world now. You can swear. It's, it's a it's a dystopian story about what the fuck is going on in the world. <laughs> I hope that's the title, because <laughs> well. I am absolutely 100 there. Because I because I, I, it's interesting. I was just thinking this whenever you were um, I interviewed you a number of times for Diego Maradona, and 
when you're making a documentary, you're so, you know, you're so immersed in the film and then you take it on tour and then when it's up for awards contention, you must be itching to God willing. anything else yeah. than another documentary at that point. The hope is, you're, while you're making something, you've got a film coming out and you're writing and you're prepping the next one or two. You know, that's the kind of dream scenario. And so that's sort of, you get really full on and you jump from one thing or another. So it's, it's great to be here talking about a film that's coming out that, that you, you liked and then I'm busy making something else. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's the fun bit. That's if you're lucky, you just get into that kind of cycle and there's never any minute... When you're on the tube, you're riding your bike, you're in the shower, you're always thinking, oh, oh, that's what we do. Right. And you know, there's always something that you've got to fix because like, you're always behind the schedule. <laughs> you've always got like, a problem that you've got to solve. And I think yeah. that's the great part of our job. You know, being a filmmaker or a director is solving problems and yeah. coming up with a way to tell stories or to kind of make something work visually. For me, that's what I'm interested in is how to tell visual stories in different ways for an audience. But I think if you look behind if you step back there's always certain themes that are yeah. running through them yeah. and most of the films most of the docs and the dramas are sort of people taking on power mm -hmm. or kind of corrupt power or corrupt systems and creatures the same mm -hmm. but it was really interesting is like maybe that's what i look for or maybe that's what i turn the films into i don't know but there's always a kind of running theme in them and they're all people who in various ways get chewed up by by the system yeah. In a way. So is that, that, that must be a preoccupation of yours uh, as well. I guess so. Yeah. See, it is a therapist couch after all. <laughs> it's all Great. coming out now. It's it all is. coming out. I mean, yeah, films should be, you sh they don't have to be about you to be personal. Yeah. Uh, so I've got to ask you about the Amy Winehouse movie that's shooting right now. Sam Taylor Johnson's directing it. Is that something that you'd ever considered making yourself? And what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I spent a long time making the doc spoke to a lot of people. It was quite heavy. It was quite intense. And I feel very proud of it. And I would say everything that I wanted to say is in that doc. And I think that's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully done. Beautifully done. There you go. And... Uh... Last question, what are the Reds going to do this? Are we going to do anything? Look, we, we should talk about the Queen. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I'm, we're all, everyone's in mourning. I don't understand. I'm in mourning, you're in mourning. Yeah. Mo Salah appears to be in mourning. Everyone's injured. <laughs> everyone's, yeah. We don't buy midfielders. Yeah. Is anyone here a midfielder? Can you play for Liverpool the weekend? Anyway, we're talking about the Reds again. I said we wouldn't do that. Let's not, <laughs> not do that. Uh, it's been an absolute blast, as always. Please give it up for the magnificent... Thank you so much. Asif Kapadi, everybody. Thank you. That's great. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Asif Kapadia! So that was Asif Kapadi, everybody, and we're going to keep the guests coming, folks. And James is here to help me do that. Hello. Welcome back, James. Now, Lufa, sorry, Luther, The Fallen Son, is the first feature-length film to star Idris Elba as John Lufa, wearer of the second greatest detective coat of all time. Can you guess who the first one is? Yes, it's Columbo. Thank you very much indeed. This time, Lufa has broken out of prison and is determined to hunt down one of his most sadistic foes yet, a serial killer played by Ben Trapp. <laughs> Sorry, 
Andy Serkis. Uh, the film is due in cinemas on February 24th, just like Creature, and then on Netflix from March 10th. And it is directed by a man who has called the shots on several episodes of Lufa, the TV show. Will you please give it up for Jamie Payne? Oh yes, Jamie Payne, everybody. Hello, hello. Hello, Jamie. 5.50, congratulations. <laughs> I know, it's mad, isn't it? How the fuck did this happen? <laughs> anyway, uh, one more chair to go, folks. One more space on the sofa to go. You know, we often wonder on the podcast uh, who our most frequent guest has been over the years. My default answer is usually Simon Pegg, but... There are others in contention. Tom Hiddleston, for example. Jason Isaacs. Hello to Jason Isaacs. Uh, uh, and as is our next guest. In fact, I can actually believe it's taken this long for him to grace one of our live shows. Unless, of course, he's been playing all of our previous guests. And frankly, I wouldn't put it past him. He has his own volume. Um, please welcome, if you will, a man who has starred in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the most recent Planet of the Apes trilogy, and Star Wars twice in two different roles. Now that's versatility, Jesus Christ. And now he's bringing his magic to Luther. Sorry, Lufa. Uh, forget the rock when it comes to franchise Viagra, except no substitutes. Instead, accept the one, the only, Andy Serkis! <laughs> Andy Serkis, everybody! That's you. That's you. That's you. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <sighs> first things first. How do we know you're Andy Serkis in the flesh and not Andy Serkis at home in his pajamas playing Andy Serkis? I am Andy Serkis at home in his pajamas. <laughs> get the shit out of this. <laughs> and you're also Jamie as well. Just this. <laughs> and the audience, which is, which is incredible. Welcome both. How are you? Good. Really good to be here. Uh, indeed. So this is exciting. Very, Luther. very, very exciting. Yeah. Luther on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You use the T and the H. Well done. I know, I know. <laughs> do you do that on set, by the way? Because we can't stop doing it. It's an affliction, as you may have noticed. Well, no, Idris does. About, you know, he, he walks around going, Lufa! <laughs> um, you know, to get... As soon as he gets out the car, that's yeah, the yeah. first thing he says. <laughs> is he in character from the moment he puts on the coat? See, the thing is, Idris himself is nothing like... Luther. <laughs> so, you know, he's amazing at playing the part. He's quite astonishingly good, but I don't think he finds it easy. And I don't think he enjoys being in that skin. It's quite a, a doer place to be. Um, so he's, the coat helps, there's no doubt. Um, but when the coat's on, he's in. He's in. Yeah. He's in all the way. I mean, you say difficult being in a skin. Like, Luther is dark. It's always dark. But this one, obviously, we know a certain amount about this film. Like, it, it goes to some very dark places. I think it's fairly safe to say that, Andy, the, the villain in this is perhaps even more twisted than the ones we've seen before. Like, when Neil showed you who this character was, who Roby was, like, were you just like, 
I don't know if I want to do this. A hundred percent didn't want it. I mean, I, literally, <laughs> I, 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 as I said to Jamie, you know, when I read the script, I literally wanted to have a shower immediately afterwards. It was, it, 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 it sort of touched upon, it touches upon, the character touches upon things about ourselves, about humanity in, in, in a very, very kind of precise, dark, uh, but, but as with all the great villains that he's created, you know, they are incredibly human and, you know, to, if, you know, to separate, we can't separate ourselves from that, that side, you know, that we, we have, we are forced to look at, at the dark, darkest part of ourselves, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and that was kind of like, God, oh, I really want to go there. And then I knew that when, when we sat down and talked about it, and I just thought, this is it. This is, I'm on the ride. Because <laughs> it was, it, it, we had a great meeting, that first meeting there, didn't it? We did. And, and I think because of Andy's response to the script, which of course is all Neil Cross, the genius of that mind, when we met in a pub and I wanted to make a little bit of small talk, Andy, you obviously still stuck in the darkness in response to it and you want to get straight to business. And we talked about the character. And I think... I left that meeting, A, having, after having one of the best meetings I think I've ever had with an actor who was so already so committed to questioning who Roby was. But working with Andy, it'll be no surprise to anybody here and anyone listening that, you know, to play a Luther character, to play a Luther villain, you have to get all in. You know, you can't, it's like karaoke. You can't giggle behind, <laughs> you can't giggle behind the mic. You've got to go for it. And yeah. Andy, you know, I'm looking forward to people seeing Andy's performance in the film. It's extraordinary. He gives the villain such phenomenal flesh. Um, and I've watched the film about 3,000 times now. And uh, there's no, I'm not exaggerating. I see something different in his performance every single time I watch it. We ran a first look of this character in Empire Magazine. Mm -hmm. Roby, the villain, wearing a robe. Now, <laughs> so the plot of the film is he's killing people who don't wear robes. And that's, that's, his, that's his origin story. That is, that's absolutely right. That's yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> I understand. That was, that was the research that I did. <laughs> I, I kind of looked at all the various robes that he uh, could possibly wear. No, I, he, he's... Yeah, it's, it's, I've thought, look, Jay, Jamie is a brilliant actor's director. I've got to say this. Uh, he allows, what well, the, the thing is, what, what pe a lot of people probably don't understand is, you know, you, there's an atmosphere on set that, that if it's right, it really allows creativity to flow. And if it's not, if it doesn't, if it, if it, if there's in any way anything that blocks that, you know, you immediately start to shut down and start questioning yourself and the shut. And that, and that's Jay, Jamie's strength as well as being a, being a brilliant, brilliant visualist, um, is that he allows this playful kind of no, this environment where you, you can really go go to places and, and and he takes it on and allows it to flourish. And that was with with all of the characters and all the performances. But but I mean I I, I truly truly enjoyed every single moment of of uncovering the you know I was encouraged to to really find the darkest part of my own personality through this. And, and, and actually at times I would go home feeling a bit sick with myself. Yeah. I was going to say like, there's got to be a point where it's difficult to leave it in the office when you get home. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, it was pretty tough. Did the wig help? Cause obviously he has, he has a coat. We've seen pictures. You have a magnificent hairpiece. Did you get, can I just say something? It's actually, uh, <laughs> this is just so not right. This is quite funny uh, to some people, not me. Cause I, I actually went to the trouble of having hours and hours of hair dyeing, stripping back uh, tin foil in my hair and having it all, you know, you know, it, it's blonde. It's blonde. It's, 
pretty blonde. And uh, kind of halfway through the shoot, Cynthia Rebo comes up to me and she goes, they did a bloody good job on your wig. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know, I spend hours it's every all day natural. in makeup. And it's all, yeah, all natural. You do rock it. And the makeup, the makeup department, it took six people in the morning to get that hair sorted out. And, the, and they called it the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> where do you start with the character, Andy? Is that where you, do you see blonde hair? Was it stipulated on page? It, how, the, how did you come up with that? The thing is about this character is that he... He's he's a, as we said, you know, he's he's sort of a construct. He sort of doesn't he he's he's sort of that the choice those kind of choices and the way that he presents himself are sort of a way of bringing himself into existence. This is a very lonely individual, a deeply deeply lonely uh, person who connects through observing other people's lives and pain and suffering and normality and mundanity and sort of it, it it's it, it really i think i think the themes of this particular version of luther and and how we have got ourselves into a position where where the internet and and technology is controlling us to the, to the degree that it does i think i think i know people who you know who 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 have seen elements of this have gone and thought I, I, I'm, I'm going to turn off my my uh, you know my my um, Alexa. I'm going to you know it's like that that the 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 amount of surveillance that we have welcomed into our lives, um, you know, uh, and 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 that's what Roby kind of trades upon. He trades upon all of that stuff. He's 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 an extremely clever individual, but he he cannot connect with humanity. I think the first, one of the early conversations I had with Neil about the script, I, in my living room, there's a window that looks out into the garden at night. I said to him, at night, I can imagine, what if someone was sitting in the garden looking back into the house? I wouldn't know that they were there. And he said to me, well, the modern serial killer doesn't need to go into your garden to watch you at night. He's in your house. He's listening to you through the smart speaker. He can watch you through your TV monitor. You know, we have the the most incredible listening <laughs> device on our person. Now, can I just say, Neil's imagination is quite extraordinary. He is the nicest human on the planet. <laughs> but it's really interesting, as Andy was saying, it's a really interesting reminder of where we're at. Mm. And within a short space of time, how we've accepted so much uh, potential we know people are watching our behavior because we accept or reject it. But, you know, those cameras aren't too hard to hack. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a chilling thought. To uh, Thank you very much now, for that. Uh, now seems like a good time to welcome our live viewers. Who <laughs> are watching us even now. Yeah. Um, but look, we talk about, obviously, Luther being a crime series. But it, to me, it's as much a fancy series as a crime series because it's set in London, but it's not London. Like, Luther's London is almost like a parallel universe. But what's it like for you, like, shooting Luther's London, making that real? I think the character of Lutherland is really important. And I think as we took it to a larger space, you know, for a movie, we had to make sure that we protected the DNA of what made that real. 
Um, and you're right. I mean, it has to be heightened. I think it allows for us to play with the darkness. It allows for the audience to enjoy the ride that is taking you through these stories. Um, in the series itself, you know, Cameron Pell, the, the villains were almost born from the history of those streets. So we get to open the world up much more and, and take him into foreign climes. You know, most of the Luther stories have taken place within the streets of London and very uh, familiar and similar streets. And now we open up the world. But it's a big character, Lutherland. You're right. We've seen images of Luther in a, in a sort of an Arctic tundra landscape. Can you tell us anything about that? Um, no. No. no right. Okay, next question. <laughs> well, what I can say is, um, you know, those streets, because they're such an important character in the, f in the series and now the film, um, shadows, very noir, you know, a lot of lies in the story, a lot of things not said, a lot of mistrust. Um, and that's easy to hide in the London streets. Mm. Take a story out into the white tundra as you as you said there's nowhere to hide so it, for me it was like a, a visual pictorial negative of lutherland mm. and again reminds the audience that we're in very much a constructed world before we go to a very dark place massively influenced by andy's <laughs> character i had no idea tundra would be the word of this podcast but it's, it's been said tons um lufa 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 and tundra uh together at last and uh Andy, we obviously had Asakopadia on and you've worked in a weird way indirectly with him because you you provided your voice for Creature, but I learned backstage without actually having met Asaf really. No, no, it, it, it's, it was an amazing experience, actually. It was, this was right in the middle of lockdown. And, um, and, and Akram Khan, who, who I've always wanted to work with, I uh, love, love, love his choreography. And, and he's such an amazing performer. And obviously, as a physical actor, you know, I, I, I've always been a huge admirer of his. Um, and he, he, you know, we actually sat down and we, I don't know if, if any, any of you have ever seen the, the show Xenos that, that he created about, about the seaport soldiers in the first world war um anyway we were we were talking about making a, a film filmic version of that um and then and then and then he said actually i've got this other idea that i'm doing at the moment and it's and it's sort of half based on the void sex story half based on frankenstein and and the, the this creature is you know, would you would you provide the voice for it um, for a dancer who is, when you see the film, or I don't know if any of you have seen the film, is the most extraordinary physical performance I think I've, I've ever witnessed on Incredible. you know yeah. on, on screen. It is mind blowing, yeah. um, um, and so so I, I was you know I, I felt very proud to be a tiny part of of um, of that the 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 voice for the actual choreographed show and then and then when Asif came in you know to start shooting it we sort of crossed over very very briefly but you know, it was a, yeah I mean it, it, I can't wait for everybody to see that it's amazing because there are there are parallels weird between you and Asif and that you're both really hard to pin down it's really impossible to predict what you're going to be doing next showing up in a in a Luther movie or you know doing Andor or directing a Phenom film so how do you choose what is it just something that, that I haven't done this before, so I'm going to do this now? Or, I mean, it literally, it, it's, you know, you get to a point in your life where you, you uh, or if you're fortunate enough, and, you know, and, and, I, and I, I suppose that I am kind of in that position where, where I, I, the last thing I expected to do is to be in, 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 in this. And, and it was the power of the script and, uh, and meeting Jamie and looking at each other across, you know, the table of that when we had our first meeting and, and thinking this is going to be, this is going to be a real challenge. 
and it, it's going to take me somewhere. And and you know, I've always seen the part of the job of what we do as storytellers as, in some small way, changing perception. You know, of, of, and, and people who go in to watch the film hopefully will come out the other end of it being massively entertained, but also just shifting the needle on their perception of humanity. And that's, I suppose, I've always carried that with me. And that, and so I only really take jobs that I think are going to do that. Um, to a certain degree, you know, to whatever small degree, and, and that. But so the projects, whether they be directing something or, or or acting in something, have always got to, I think, have an element of that. Jamie, obviously, this is a a, a movie, so that must have been incredibly exciting for you to to differentiate this from a, a standard episode of Luther, which you know was fairly cinematic already. So how did you do that? How did you take that leap? Well, I mean, television, we have much less time and much less money. <laughs> so the whole idea of having more time and more money and access to talent that you may not have in television was incredible, you know. But I, I'm glad that the lines are blurred between TV and film now mm. because people don't care less in television. They work with much less material time and resource and with equal passion. So to be working with a team of actors and technicians and actors of the standard that, that Andy stands for in every single way was, was extraordinary. And, um, you know, I had a lot of support and, uh, and I have to say uh, props to Netflix for giving us the platform um, because they were incredible partners. And Idris is a producer, so he wants the creative experience to be totally fulfilling for everybody. He wants to make it that I'm empowered to, to lead it without apology. Um, but in, in answer to your question, it was extraordinary to jump from TV to film. <laughs> Well, I want to say you, you, uh, Dermot Crowley, the glorious Dermot Crowley, comes back at Shank. I love him so much. People forget that he was General Maydean. <laughs> in Return of the Jedi, which blows my mind. But obviously, I will say, like, last year, uh, Andor was our, our show of the year, last year for good reason. And I think everyone's hearts broke with three words, I can't swim. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine, it's fine. Uh, but did you think that Keno Lloyd would resonate with people in the way that he did? I had no idea that. I mean, it, it's so bizarre. I, I you know, I I, lo I I did love shooting it, and it was the most incredible set to shoot on. That that was, you know, the really desensitising walking around on that with in bare feet on those metal plates and all that. But I did like the character because because he starts off by, you know, being quite unlikable and and uh, a bit of a bully, and then it ends up. You know, sort of through the engagement with Cassian and, and finding the old part of himself, which was someone who would stand up for others, and that, and that, and that, and I think, and that, and I think that was the strength of the, the series was that it really did plug into kind of human, the, the human side of a, a, another epic mythic kind of world, yeah. um, and actually really connect with people. But yes, I mean, but having said that, I have seen well. Many people might well have seen so many memes of Kino Loy with a with a swimming ring around. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Very quickly, people can undermine the art, you know, very no. quickly. I have to believe he, like, rode away in a Stormtrooper helmet or did something, <laughs> and the next show they announced would just be Loy. And that's, that's, that's been 13 episodes, just all of it. It's swimming lessons. Only 13. Yeah. Only 13. First season one. Only 13. Season one. Season, one. Yeah, season yeah. one. yeah, yeah. Season two is 31 episodes. Yeah, sorry. Are you busy next year? <laughs> 
we've just committed you to it. Uh, and of course, this is a pivot, a big pivot to a character that's going to terrify everybody uh, in Luther. And you are famously one of the nicest guys in the business. If you and, say, Hugh Jackman and Michael Palin were thrown into a room <laughs> and told to fight to the death, you would emerge the best of friends. <laughs> there, would be, there would be no one, no one would die during that. Uh, and this, I think, is going to make people look at you a little bit differently. It's going to make people sidle away from you at bus stops. I, I, I think it might. I'm quite... <laughs> I am quite scared that people will think he's just all a veneer, you know. I, actually, I've got. I, well, I guess that's the whole point, you know. You have to fight. You know, we all have to look into the darkest part of ourselves at times. And actually, it is. It's those inside voices that we have when we, you know, someone beeps a horn at you and you're a zebra crossing and you're letting someone cross and someone's behind who's in a hurry. There are moments where you feel like you could kill. I mean, <laughs> just are. And and I, and I have to accept that I've had those feelings. And so must you all. <laughs> Hands up who hasn't had those feelings. <laughs> you see? Andy, is there something you'd like to confess to the audience? <laughs> Feels like you may have killed and will kill again. Uh, um, have which you case, met our Ben Travis? He's just back Yes, there. yeah, yeah, absolutely. In which case, we should let you get out of the London air. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of time to choose a victim tonight. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Please give it up once again. Jamie Payne, Andy Serkis, everybody. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That was great. That was amazing. Thank, Thank, you, Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Good day. Andy Circus! One way out! One way out! One way out! I understood that reference. <laughs> Anyway, we're in the end game now. It's time. Uh, can we put the house lights up? Because it's time for you guys to ask us some questions. Uh, and and AMA, an AMA, ask me, us, slash us, anything. Um, James, you get to choose the first person. Oh, God, that's a lot of pressure. I can see it. I can literally only see one hand. So I'm going to go with this gentleman here. Um, the, so the other day, I had the, the day off, and I went to watch two movies to try and like, make the most of it. And I watched After Sun, which was amazing and astounding and brilliant. And then I went to see Banshees of Inishirin, and I would normally love that film, but instead I was just emotionally still processing After Sun and was like, dark humor isn't really what I need right now. How do you deal with that when you go see movies back to back to back and you're like, they're so different tones and you, I'm just, just like, I'm only one human and I only have so many emotions I can give. How do you deal with it? Well, we, we were talking about this recently because uh, there's a, they have national pressures. The uh, Film Distributors Association do these things where on Monday they'll show you all the films around that week. So if you haven't seen them for the podcast, so isn't it the week that you went from Babylon to Alistair, Babylon. wasn't it? And it, yeah. was just like, it was just like, fucking hell. <laughs> I, you, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I didn't like Babylon much, uh, <laughs> and uh, and so so anything I, like I just I, I had so many hopes pinned on Alice Starling. By the time I turned up and I was just unloading on yeah. you, and, I, and then there was another bit that was shit, <laughs> and then I hated this, and it was three hours ten minutes. Um, and, Your and rant then, or the film? Yes, <laughs> and then and then thankfully Alice Darling was was something of like a relief, but. I think they sometimes, when they do those for us, they, they try to program it a little bit. So you will get Puss in Boots in the middle of the day uh, and they don't know it's all about death. And, um, you know, so they try and, and lift your spirits a little bit. But yeah, it, it can be weird. And I think it, it sometimes maybe 
you know, contributes to us having slightly weird takes on a film. Mm. Um, so you have to try and get past it. But I don't know if we always if we always do. I try. Yeah, it's I, really I, hard, I isn't try it? Try to kind of shut out all the outside noise and try and judge a film on its own merits. I think we all we're all guilty of bringing a certain kind of baggage to something, and mm. certainly the context in which you see a film certainly certainly really really affects how you uh, how you review that film. Uh, yeah, and obviously when you're programming double bills or triple bills. You try to Take you try and have a little bit of uplift in there. I remember a few years ago, what was it? We when uh, Sam Sam Toy formerly of this parish oh, introduced God, us all to threads. I mean, that? that's I mean, I'm trying to think about I'm the most depressing double bill you could possibly have, <laughs> and you could pair threads with Paddington Two, and you would still be fucked up by the time about it do ends. You'd be just like, oh my God, all those people died, and there was a woman who pissed herself. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Threads is the story. It's basically a realistic tape on what would happen if there'd been a nuclear war in the 80s. And it's yeah. so upsetting. It's it's so much more <laughs> worse for the survivors somehow. It's so oh, yeah, awful. Yeah, yeah. And, and literally Sam decided this would be great Saturday night get-together. Saturday night. Saturday night. Saturday night. So we basically sat around being incredibly depressed for half an hour afterwards just trying to like, huh. and then he put, I think he had to put on Bill Bailey. We had to yeah. watch like some Bill Bailey stand-up and he, God well, bless him, he did bring out a gigantic uh, chocolate pavlova, which helped. Yes. But well, he chose the Bill Bailey stand-up where Bill Bailey dies at the end of a giant <laughs> nuclear conflagration. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that was a was, mistake. That was, that was not good. Respect, yeah. But we love Sam, anyway. We love Sam, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you, it's, it's, you, you do definitely get affected by that. Uh, James and uh, I, to, a, to a, a more recent degree, have cultivated a way around this by never seeing any film. <laughs> really helps. I know that you know you may have noticed I didn't review any of the films this week because I was very very busy and couldn't see any. Uh, I was busy watching the Murder Mystery Two trailer on a loop. But I am going to get back into it. I am yeah. going to get back into it. I have I have I'm booked in to see a film in April. Fantastic! It's really good. <laughs> I'm very very excited but, about. But it. this is also why during the pandemic, when like I think it was the Old Guard or something came out, and it was like, oh thank God, an action movie. I've been watching small dramas for weeks, weeks. You need some variety. Right, you need I to mix that, it up. I think that did contribute, and and also you know to the reception we afforded Wonder Woman 1984 I think was was born largely out of it's a movie with people ah thank god <laughs> thank god you're here it's that was a shit. fucking Travis special a travesty as that a was a Travis special <laughs> yeah. yeah Travis and Jolin of course no. none of us here have a track record of giving horrendous <laughs> and uh, misplaced star ratings to movies anyway let's swiftly move on shall we Helen you choose the next person yeah there was somebody with their hand up there at the back okay. let's go this side where he's, 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 look he's just got my hey, um, given today's Groundhog Day, mm. um, what's Please. a film that you could tolerate seeing repeated if you're in a stuck in a time loop scenario? <laughs> a film you could tolerate seeing endlessly. Anything by Noah Baumbach. <laughs> <laughs> I came so close to uh, printing out the Noah Baumbach interview and getting these two to recreate it. Uh, <laughs> I thought that would be a step too far. Uh, I don't know. I, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, there were two films. I watched six times, six times in one day. One of them was Commando. The other one, because my parents just didn't give a shit. The other one was the Care Bears movie. <laughs> That's oh my quite God. the double bill. That was my Avengers Endgame when I was... <laughs> I swear, I was like counting down the days until the Care Bears movie came out. I was so exciting. Yeah. Did now, I couldn't name a Care Bear if one smacked me in the face. Oh, smack me in the face, Bear. Uh, but love a lot. Love a lot. Love a lot, yes. Love a lot, Bear, yeah. Hug a lot. 
that's lots of hugging bear, isn't there? Lots of hugging bear. Anyway, we may be getting slightly off track. Uh, I kill a lot, and that's John Matrix. I would say it's probably a Spielberg. It might be someone like a ET or a Raiders. Maybe I, I feel like I could watch that quite a few days without losing my mind. There are films I've watched twice in a row, like immediately stopped it and started it again. Yeah. And not not just when I was a kid. I'm sure I've said this before, but Shawshank is one I could just watch Shawshank endlessly. Um, pretty much any of my my favorite films. I could watch The Thing endlessly. I could watch Die Hard endlessly, and I I would I would not I would not have a nervous breakdown until probably the 10th or 12th, 12th go round. But yeah, certainly uh, Die Hard is something I've watched and then stopped and then watched it immediately. Shawshank, yeah, things like that, yeah. mm. for sure. Aliens I've seen so many, many times. I could watch that endlessly. But Star Wars is probably the one because, and I've mentioned this many times, it was literally the only film I owned when I was a young child. We didn't have a video recorder. I just had this VHS of Star Wars, which, as I've said, it was a two-hour videotape so when the x-wing came into the death star trench for the final run the tape finished so i never knew how this film ended for like the first six or seven years of my life i just thought you i know just, now right you know how kids are just fucking stupid like never occurred to me this you know from a structural point of view it was a bit problematic you know you never really understand i mean it's quite open-ended it's ambiguous perhaps <laughs> lived experience maybe it's about the futility of life I guess exactly exactly and how you can never truly conquer authoritarian evil Uh, but uh, but yeah that was that was my experience with Star Wars you know Uh, but I watched that every single day during the summer holidays because my mum would take me to work she'd put me in front of one of these VCR machines we'd put it in and I would watch (laughs) the first roughly uh, two hours of Star Wars wow yeah I guess the trick is to really go for a really really long film right so you want no, to go for like a... Uh, like Shoah. <laughs> yeah, like Andy Warhol's Empire. <laughs> like The Sorrow and the Pity. Or something. Yeah. yeah, precisely yeah. like that. Yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, I, could, I could probably watch... I could probably watch Avengers Endgame on an oh infinite loop. I could probably do that. I would do that. Or Hoopy Halloween. Anyway, um, yes, sir, there's a gentleman over here who has a microphone. Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, if you could watch, if it, given it's Groundhog Day, if you could watch a film. Oh. <laughs> there we go. There's another hand down here with the beard. Can we get one? Is there a third row? Third, third row. row. Here. That's, that's, Sorry. Yeah. Run, Luke, run. Don't run. It's fine. It's health and safety. Yeah, it's fine. Thank you. Uh, not wanting to give any spoilers away, but the last episode, although this is TV. The oh, come on. Sorry. You plant. Uh, the last episode of The Last of Us mm. has literally stayed with me the last four days. Yeah. Um, can't stop thinking about it. Had a little sob today. Sorry, Kaz. Um, I just wondered <laughs> if there's any films or episodes of television that have literally stayed with you, be it good or bad, that you literally just can't shift. Well, of course, we discussed The Last of Us on the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, if you subscribe to Pilot Plus, you can yeah, listen to our spoiler yeah. special, which Helen is in fact on, and that oh. is available now for one ninety nine yeah. a month. Um, uh, but no, that one that one has stayed with me. That whole series, I think, is very good. So good. Uh, so Chernobyl, good. actually, while I'm thinking of it. Yeah. Uh, on, what do you mean, Helen? You haven't seen any more than the the third episode, right? Right. Uh, no, no, I've seen all of them. I've come out on that now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm 100%. I've seen all of the trailers. Yeah, the last it's, last. They were fabulous. Yeah, the trailers. Uh, yes. All the trailers. It's a pilot TV joke, Kelly. You get it. <laughs> they okay. get it. Do they? Oh, uh, five people got so, it. Yeah. So, yeah, that one, um, 
I feel like a lot of West Wing stuff has Woo! genuinely stuck with me. Like there are lines that are in my head just as part of my personality now. Same with Buffy. Uh, and, uh, and, and I recently, some of you may have seen on Twitter uh, and told me off, but I've recently just in the last couple of days got into For All Mankind and that's already like making itself part of my DNA. Holy shit, it's amazing. And yes, some of you probably, and certainly other people have been telling me to watch it for three years and everybody was right and I was wrong to not get around to it till now. I apologize. Battlestar Galactic, obviously, as well, while we're talking mm. Ronald D. Moore. But, it was like, but it's anything like that. And so Endgame, obviously, is one of those films, isn't it, where it's just the emotional weight of that film. I mean, fucking Infinity War. Like, you get to the end of that. That's brutal how that leaves you. Like, you feel bereft. You feel devastated. It's not, it's not quite like Darabont's The Mist devastated, but it's pretty fucking heavy. It's like, they, oh, no, they die. Oh, no, they die. Um... But Endgame, like the end of that, like you sit there in the credits and you're just staring and you know there's no steam. You're just staring at them going, this is a thing that happened. And it was incredible. And you feel just the weight of all those emotions. I, I love it when you see something like that. And, you know, so there are so many shows that do that. I mean, you know, even Game of Thrones, like for me, it's um, the, I can't remember which season it is. I want to say six finale where it's, you know, the Winds of Winter, where you have the Light of the Seven Kingdoms, that beautiful piece of music by Ramin Djawadi. You have the Sept of Baelor blowing up and just the, the build up to that explosion and then it ends with that trap the winds of winter and danny kind of setting sail for westeros and at the end of that and it's in you're like oh my god this is amazing uh and then the other two seasons happen but <laughs> yeah, sure well but this, yeah. but i mean yeah it, things like that i think things that really resonate with you emotionally that sort of stay with you exactly as you say and that just leave you kind of staring at the screen and desperate to talk about mm. it, you know? And this is why the spoiler specials are so good, because like the spoiler specials, you guys might like listening to them, but when we see a film like that, like the need to do a spoiler special for that, to talk about it, to get into it, to get the filmmaker out there and say, oh my God, sit why down and Why did you me. do this? Tell yeah, me why? why. Why have you done this to me? Explain to me for an hour or so. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's, and we're very privileged to be able to actually be able to ask them these things. It's, it's very cool. I will say, and, like, sorry, film-wise, I would say Everything Everywhere All at Once and Banshees just this year kind of st just stuck with me, just the themes and the ideas of those films. I, I was kind of like mulling over for weeks afterwards. Yeah, yeah, this is a really difficult question for me to answer because I think everything lives with you for a little bit. I haven't seen The Last of Us yet. I've seen the first two minutes with John Hanna. Um, I'm planning to watch the rest as soon as I finish MasterChef and Andor. Uh, I'm going to get round to The Last of Us. Um, I just think pretty much everything that you really connect with really lives with you in some way, whether it's a horror film and, you know, I, I think of the grudge constantly. I think of the, mm. the, the terrifying when you're, when you're alone in the house and, you know, I, I look through the keyhole. My, I, it, it's not really connected to the grudge necessarily, but it's just something in my head. I look through the keyhole of my, my car door, a very long car door where I live. I look through the keyhole and sometimes I can imagine the, the presence from that walking up the corridor and it's me, how Chris. fucked it's literally me. Yeah. Is the presence in the room with us now, Yeah, the presence is, it, it went, when you mentioned it, was <laughs> and, and, and honestly, wouldn't the grunge be far less scary if the ghost had made that noise instead? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, hey, I've got a curse, okay. Um, yeah, something like that, or you know, weirdly enough, a quiet place is something that lives with me as well, but in a completely different way from the way you're talking about, something that, that lives with you emotionally for a while. Um, I probably don't have anything that got readily to mind because I'm an emotionless husk of a man. Any other questions? Oh, I guess it's my turn. I'm going to go to the balcony and someone's going to have to shout. Who's going to, anyone got a hand on the balcony that they'd like to raise in the air and then ask a question? Yes, please. 
So what film this year are you simultaneously most looking forward to? June! Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, carry on. I'm also suspect to be deep down probably terrible. Not you. Not June, not June. definitely not June. not June, no. Have you phrased this because I've mentioned Murder Mystery 2? <laughs> I, I don't know about terrible, but like there are films that you're excited about, but also a little bit wary of. You know, um, like I am excited about Indiana Jones, but I'm a little bit wary too. So I'm, I'm really, it is Christmas Eve. It is definitely Christmas Eve. It is under the tree. It is wrapped. Doesn't look like socks. There's definitely a box shape there, you know? Mm-hmm. But equally, like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? Oh, yeah, seven. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, for a while. Bloody Jeez, hell. Yeah, Jesus. that took a long time to get up. Wow. Honestly, like, a little bit Fast 10. Like, Fast 10 is a film I really want to see. But I have concerns. I mean, obviously. Like, did you see Fast 9? <laughs> Maybe it's rather controversial. As long as we obey the laws of physics, yeah. we'll be fine. Yeah. But where did you start? Oh. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those two, I think, definitely for me. Um, if, we throw a, if we throw aside the shackles of irony for a second, uh, the Equalizer 3. Um, although it will be the greatest film ever made, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm very confident about where the MCU is going to be this year, cinematically speaking. After I think uh, uh, their first stumble in a while. You know, I love I, I loved Love and Thunder not as much as Ben, who is on his train right now, but is probably going to burst through the, that door <laughs> any second ago. It was amazing, five stars. Uh, but I did have a wobble with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and I did have a wobble with Wakanda Forever. Um, and I thought the TV stuff was great, but this year. I think James Gunn's going to ruin me with Guardians mm. Volume 3. I, I'm really looking forward to Quantumania, which I think we'll see. In, well, we're all going to see it in a couple of weeks. Yes. Um, and the Marvels is, you know, we know nothing about it, except it's going to piss off the right people. Uh, <laughs> and for that, that alone, and by the right people, I mean the wrong people, <laughs> as in people who are wrong. And uh, for that alone, I'm very, very excited for it. Um, and I'm hoping that Kamala Khan on the big screen is going to be great. Yeah. Yes, awesome. thank you. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and there are other films. Time for a little couple of last questions. Uh, James, your, your turn to choose someone. I will choose. Yes, lady over there. It's you. Hi. So... Everyone has favorite films, but not everyone becomes film journalists slash film critics. So I'm wondering what experiences slash movies made you realize that you want to do this job or inspired you to go into film? Thank you, by the way, for that energy. Uh, I think we all need it. <laughs> it is 20 past 10. That was amazing. What is your secret, genuinely? I'm really fucking tired. Uh, yes. What made us become film critics? Uh, in my case, it was being too shit to be a filmmaker. <laughs> uh, in my case, it was being very bored at, at law. Yeah, I mean, it was. Really. But was there a film specifically? Was there something? I mean, we've all got our Star Wars origin story, haven't we? I, it was pretty much that. I just was getting, I was getting more and more obsessed with film through my teens and starting to actively seek out like filmmakers that I didn't know, films that I should have seen because they were part of the canon, and and sort of starting to try and fill in the gaps and, and watch all the greats and stuff like that. And and so it began to be the dream job, but I didn't I didn't think it was actually going to happen until 
until I got the job. <laughs> I kept like when the when the interview when the the, the website advertised the place for an internship. Um, I thought, well, I, I have to go for it, but I have to be okay with the fact that I'm not going to get it. Like, it's definitely not going to happen, but I have to go for it because this would be, I would watch films and they would pay me for that. But not a lot, obviously. No, not a lot. No, still no. <laughs> um, so, but that was genuinely the, the kind of, the, the extent of the thought process. It wasn't it, until later that I sort of tried to focus on criticism as a thing itself. It was more about, no, I want to watch the films. Thank you. Yes. Um, hmm. So yeah, so it was literally when when I got the email. I probably said this before. When I got the email, you know, after the interview, I literally sat without opening it for like ten minutes, going, you, you know, got an email. it's going to be, yeah, yeah. Just, Did I email you? I didn't call you. No, uh, Catherine. Catherine. Catherine Catherine, email. Yeah, Catherine emails. And I was literally like looking at the the email in my inbox, going, okay, this is going to be a no, and that's okay. You didn't expect to get it. Was the subject just that Helen girl? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I hadn't had that whole Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I just literally was sitting there going. It's, it's going to be fine. You have no experience and no training and they're not going to give it to you. And you knew that going in and you knew it was a long shot, but you just... Helen? You got to meet them at least, you know? You turned the audience against us. Look at that. I know. <laughs> People are leaving. Unbelievable. And then, they're so and yeah. outraged by that so, so it was So it was more... It wasn't even that thought out. You're giving us way too much credit. Yeah. That reminds me, actually, of uh, when I got this... You know, because I got the... Um, when I went for the job in... <laughs> and uh, I did my... I, I did a second interview. Uh, I had blue hair. I had blue hair. Twat. And I did my second interview. <laughs> my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she had red hair. And she thought, oh, you look good with blue hair. <laughs> Spoiler alert, didn't. Um, anyway, we're both very happy now. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got I did exactly the same thing, but I got an email from Emma Cochran and then the editor just saying, uh, can you call me? And this was on a Sunday night, and I remember I was so nervous. And I went up to my bedroom and I, I called and uh, she said, you know, very quickly, I'd like to offer you the, the job. And it was a big thing for me. I'm sure it was for you as well because mm -hmm. I meant having to move uh, to a completely different country where they spoke a completely different language. And, uh, you know, I remember running down the stairs and, you know, just being so overjoyed because this was one of the dream jobs. And no, this isn't quite what you asked, but uh, that's the danger of the Empire podcast. Um, <laughs> in that it was a dream job for me. And I was being slightly facetious earlier on when I said that I was too shit to be a filmmaker and then so pivoted. There's a little truth in that, but uh, there's also, this has been one of my dream jobs. If you had said to me when I was 16 years old, 17 years old, write down your five dream jobs, writing for Empire would be one of those dream jobs. And the chance to get it to actually become part of this publication brand whatever you want to call it this has been a huge part of my childhood growing up and it was a, it's been a huge part of it. it's been a huge part of my adult life and it was such an enormous thing for me and i still remember that feeling of just pure unadulterated joy and ecstasy and relief when i got the got the job because i think if i'm being truthful about it there are a lot of reasons why i got into cinema but the reason I got into this was Empire. Mm, that's right. And, yeah. uh, and so this is, that's the reason. Empire's reason. It's not a specific film. We all have our Star Wars origin story. In my, in my case, my origin story involves a lot of John Carpenter, a lot of George Romero, a lot of Sam Raimi, a lot of horror as well. But for me, it was this magazine. And so it's been great in a way to be part of it and, and pay it forward for so many people as well. Mm. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I could just say nuns on the run and be done. <laughs> 
that would seem like a good response to that. That would be the facetious answer. I mean, honestly, the truth of it is the same. It's not a specific film. For me, films have always been an escape, like TV narrative. Like I've, I've kind of always wrapped myself in stories. Um, like I grew up, uh, I had a single mother who raised me and she had to work a lot. Uh, and so I was left in the house on my own an awful lot. And the local Circle K, as it was, the convenience store, used to have a thing where you could have three films for three nights for three pounds. It was a simpler time. And I would literally go through every film they had. And I would watch films endlessly, continuously, all the time because I needed to be kept occupied. I wanted to be interested. And then as I got older, like it became my refuge. Like it became like if I had a bad time, if I was traumatized, if I was upset, if I was depressed, I would banish myself to another world. I would watch something. And so like film and now more TV has become, you know, almost like another side of my past. Like I've been at Empire now for 23 years. Fuck me. But genuinely, I can map the passage of my life by the films that came out. Like genuinely, like I look at my earliest Empire, oh, that was the year of Kate and Leopold. I don't know why I picked that fucking film. <laughs> but genuinely, like, and, and all, oh, I went to the junkie. Oh, that was where I first met Hugh Jackman. You know, and I, all my whole life can be mapped by cinema releases. And that's wild. It's just so bizarre. But that's how I mark the passage of time. Yep. The films yep. that came out. But, oh, that's the year that this came out. Oh, that was Attack of the Clones year. You know, sorry, yep. Chris. But <laughs> it just is. And I think, so it got to this point where it was so entwined into my DNA that I kind of thought I would do anything to make this what I get paid to do. And I was extremely lucky when I did my journalism postgrad an interview for it. And they said, oh, where do you want to end up? I went, Empire Magazine. And they went, where do you think you'll end up? I went, Empire Magazine. And the guy, twat. And and he said, I think you might want to moderate your expectations. And you know, he's absolutely right. Like it was a twatish thing to say, but it's the only place I ever wanted to work. And it was literally the first writing job I ever got, which is mental. It it shows. (laughs) And I've not improved at any point during that time. But I was just like, okay, so I'm now here until I die. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lifers. Yeah, shorter of breath than one. Bad boys for life. Institutionalized to bring it back to <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah. Yes, James, that's right. You and I are bad boys. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Oh, that sounded like I was going very bad boys. Yes, we, and we that's on the Plus only fans. <laughs> oh, All right, two last questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> two last questions, Helen, and then I'll choose one. Have you got a ha- hand? Yes, second row. Oh, here people, are going, people are catching their trains home, I hope, and not just leaving in disgust. That's fair. The Either would be fair. What the fuck is this? Hi, um, going sort of the opposite way to the famous uh, Attack of the Clones story, <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's any films that you kind of really disliked on first viewing <laughs> and then either forced yourselves or <laughs> uh, went back to for any reason and then actually went... Oh, maybe I was a bit harsh first time around. Look, I'm not going to watch Babylon again. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, no, weirdly, I did with The Old Guard, actually. The Old Guard, which I watched and reviewed and gave two stars to. And then re-watched it and realized... <laughs> and actually amended the review. I li- and I was very public about it. I put it out on Twitter. I was like, I think you should be prepared to admit when you're wrong. And I was just wrong about this film. Like, it was loads of fun. And I think it was just... I saw it just to someone else's point. I was in a, probably just the wrong headspace when I saw it. I'd just come out of Babylon. Um, <laughs> no, but... I, and and I, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. It's a fun film. And I gave it two stars. And I was a twat. Sorry. <laughs> For some reason, the one that always comes to mind when asked this kind of question is Nightmare Before Christmas, which when I saw, I was really hyped about. And I saw it and I was like, eh. 
And then I've watched it since, and obviously it's grown on me basically every time. But yes, there, there are films that I've maybe like liked at first, and then you watch them a few more times, and suddenly they become part of your DNA. Game Night a little bit as well. I liked Game it. Don't get me wrong. Nice. I get I liked it first time, Game. but it's repetition of that one that that really makes it sing. I think. Like, yeah, that was that was weird. that was one of those ones where everybody in the office who saw it was just like, oh. It was rubbish game night was rubbish and so as a result i didn't get around to it for a long long time and then mm -hmm. i saw it and i was like what the fuck are you guys on <laughs> this is one of the greatest comedies of all time this it's is so tremendous good. and you know i'm glad that people are coming around to that that uh, that way of thinking as well uh, there's a couple for me uh i probably i said this ad infinitum on the podcast but uh dread is one mm. uh, i've got i've got a couple of three star clunker reviews to my name that you i didn't review dread I did. Did you? Yeah, I reviewed Dread. You're the one. I reviewed Dread. I gave Dread three stars. Alex Garland bollocked me for that on this podcast. Well, there you go. Um, I think that... Rightly. I don't know. Yeah. I probably was comparing it unfairly to The Raid, right. which came yeah. out the same yeah, year. Are, yeah. Or maybe I was just in a bad mood or whatever. I don't know. So good. But so it's, good. it's a great, great film. Yeah. Uh, Adam McKay's Step Brothers. I gave it three. And I'd give it five now. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was another one I had in my head two seconds ago, but it's gone. But yeah, things like that. And um, I guess John Wick, we talked about this yes. podcast before, but I was a John Wick, uh, certainly skeptic, maybe even an agnostic um, when I first saw it. And I was like, this is just another taken ripoff, isn't it? I mean, it's stylish and everything, but it's no the equalizer. Yeah, but do you think you were swayed by the fact that Chad Stahelski killed your puppy? Uh, yes, he did. He did. And I've been trying to get him back for it ever since. Uh, but now I am a convert to the ways of the Wick to the point where I was on set of John Wick Chapter 3 um, and would have been on set of Chapter 4, but for a restraining order. So uh, I freaking love that. I think it is now one of the greatest action series of, of all time, of all time. Um, so there we go. Yeah. There we go. Uh, we would have time for one more question, but we have been overrunning and we've been given the old the finger of wrap up yeah. Fair enough. As, we, as we call it in the business finger so, of wrap up which is just finger of wrap up oh. yeah the guy did that and i'm pretty sure it was that or maybe that's a swivel on it oh, swivel yeah. on it yeah. 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 yeah uh so that is it for this week's empire podcast folks and that is it for episode 550 of the podcast oh yeah join us next week Back here, <laughs> same place, <laughs> same bad time, same bad channel. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be back in the studio and we'll be joined by Jenny Slate, the star of the... Oh, I didn't do my bye. I think I'll do that again. Anyway, uh, we'll be joined by Jenny Slate, Woo! the star of the delightful Marcel, the shell with shoes on. And there might be a guest or two as well knocking around. I can't be expected to keep track of this stuff. I'm a busy guy. Uh, anyway, as ever, we have a laundry list of people I have to thank. Uh, I've got to thank Zoe, Becca, Sally, Rosie, and the wonderful floor team, the wonderful sound and visual team here at King's Place. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. I want to thank everybody who supplied us with spot prizes as Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, Fetch, Publicity, Signature Entertainment, Paramount Pictures Home Entertainment, and Last Exit to Nowhere. If I've left anyone off, you can shout at me over Criterion. email. Uh, who? Criterion. DNA. Thank you. Yeah, so, so can tangentially DNA. Uh, thank you to our incredible guests, Charlotte Wells and Frank Corio. Asif Kapadia. Woo! Jamie Payne and Andy Circus. 
And of course, it's a big thank you and goodbye to my three, now two, colleagues of such lethal cunning, Ben Travis. You don't have to applaud him, he's not here. <laughs> you should. Uh, he says he's on the train. Oh yeah. Alibi established. I'd watch your back if I were you. <laughs> Babu Frick says hello. <laughs> uh, goodbye to James Dyer. Subscribe to the Pilot TV podcast. Shut up! <laughs> God damn it! Shut up! Uh, goodbye from Helen O'Hara. <laughs> uh, and of course. Thank you to you guys. We could not do this without you. Genuinely, thank you so much for coming, especially on a Thursday night. Thank you so much. Give yourselves a big round of applause. And then let's all boo and hiss the lazy fucks at home who couldn't bake it here. Yay! Oh, oh, I live in Australia, Chris. Dig a tunnel. <laughs> so I'm gonna say, just dig a tunnel. Uh, anyway, well, that yes. lady's got her bicycling helmet. Like, wow, that's a big old sign. Let people go. Come on. There we go. Uh, right. Thank you for coming. Thank you for giving us jobs. <laughs> it really does mean a lot. Uh, and it's goodbye for me. I'm off home to kiss my wife and my daughter. Good night. And watch the living hell out of The Apprentice. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>